What's up, guys? Hellabass here. Welcome to episode number 59 of the Hellabass podcast. This week, talking to Arizona BPT MLF Pro, Josh Bertrand, talking about all things finesse fishing, the BPT, Maxent, Berkeley, Angler's Happy Hour, their podcast. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you check out their podcast. Just search Angler's Happy Hour on your favorite podcast app. I think you're going to enjoy the show. Josh is a good interview and uh, lots of good stuff and lots of laughs are had. This week, the Hell of Ass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. Oh. Yeah. All right. Here we go. We're live. What's up, Josh? How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me, bro. I'm uh, I'm stoked about this. Yeah, this will be good. Uh, get to hang out. Um I've had quite a few uh, tournament guys on, mostly bass, a few open guys, a couple uh, pro circuit guys. But uh, this first time I've had a BPT guy on, so you, you get to, you get to be the first. Right on, right on. Well, hey, uh, yeah, they only get better after me. Dude. So, uh, <laughs> if I can be the first one, whoever you get next, I'm sure will be will be much better. Well, I figured since you have a podcast, I figured you at least know how to operate a mic, so I figured we'd have good audio if nothing else. Uh, barely yeah if, if the listeners could have heard our conversations about me freaking out about my mic before you I, I guess they would they would know that that's not right but yeah man it's a I, i've learned a lot over the last year and a half about audio i've learned a little bit but uh yeah i started with no knowledge at all for sure yeah thanks darius good yeah so it sounds like we sound good we look good yeah right. i mean like I, just like your early podcast episodes if you go back to my early live streams they weren't the prettiest, but you know, uh, we, we grow, we learn, we get better and we move on. Heck yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of fishermen, man, for us to figure out technology, which hilarious is we rely so much on technology now with our electronics on our boats, right? Like, dude, I am, I mean, I am terrible in front of a computer, like the most basic things that I feel like I knew how to do when I was in school. It's all just gone out the window. I don't know how to do anything on a computer now, but, uh, Dude, I'll spend hours trying to figure out all the details about the electronics on my boat because that helps yeah. me catch more fish. Yeah, if you need to change your depth shading or change the icon on a waypoint or do this or that, it's like boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny how that goes, man. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so before we get too far into this, just want to thank Arsenal Fishing for supporting the stream. It's awesome to have those guys on board. Uh, you guys can use the code Halibass15, save on stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about some Berkeley stuff and things behind Josh. They got a whole bunch of that. There's a link down in the description, and that's a good way to save 15% on some of the stuff we'll likely talk about tonight. So that will uh, that will help help you out, help me out, and probably help Josh out. So, Heck yeah, 100%. Great. So uh, like we talked about, your MLF BBT angler, what is this, like the third, fourth season? Yeah, so it's my third season over at uh, MLF on the BPT. So the inaugural season was 2019. I fished over at Bass on the Elites for the six years prior to that. And uh, so, yeah, nine years fishing already, dude. It's flown by. I mean, I I still – 
you know, there's there's weeks where you feel like an experienced vet, and then there are weeks where you feel like a rookie still, you know. And what's <laughs> funny is, like, every year that you fish, you realize there's so much more to learn. Like, and I talk about this all the time, but um, when I lived in my little bubble here in Arizona, just fished in the Southwest, I thought I knew so much, right? And then I run back east and fish a couple years, and, and same thing. I had that kind of, uh, I guess, I was a little when I was younger. But um, I thought I kind of knew everything, right? And uh, every year you fish and you go to more and more lakes, you realize like, dang, there's so much to the sport. And uh, yeah, I, nine, nine years in, man, I, I, I'm a much better fisherman than I used to be. But um, I realize there's still like so much more to our sport, man. I'm sure you see it too, man, when you're traveling around. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you're getting so much better, but so is everybody else that you're fishing against. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's just it. And uh, it's such a mind fishing is one of those mind games, man. Where like confidence and momentum. If you're tournament fishing, is such a big deal. And uh, it, you you see it with guys that they're on top of the world one year, then the next year, dude, they they hit they they rock bottom, and then you know, they, and they they find another uh, wave to ride, and they and, and it's just how our sport goes, but uh, yeah, man, it's it's crazy. It's already been so long, and I was. I see uh, the comment there. Thanks for that, man. I was one of the original eighty that uh, that came over for sure. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're in Arizona. Uh, you just got back from Sam Rayburn uh, from the first event of the official BPT season. Or no, yeah, yeah the official. Exactly. Uh, so you've had your Red Crest. You fished that. You fished uh, Sam Rayburn. Um, neither went as one would hope for you, uh, yeah. based on the standings. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been one of those red crest was one of those events that, uh, it just came and went so quick with the lake changes and everything like that. Like it was a blur. It didn't bug me as much as this last one did, you know, mm-hmm. this last one, it was one of the weeks where I wanted to just be like, I suck. Let's move on to the next one. But like it, it's eaten at me because I was around a ton of fish. I was around good fish. Um, I just failed to make one or two key adjustments. That was the difference between catching. Yeah, I was catching 25, 30 fish a day and, you know, a handful of scoreables a day. And uh, I, I couldn't put the flipping stick down. And I really I was catching so many fish doing it. It was hard to put it down. But I really wish I would have picked up a frog or a swim jig a few times it would have given me a chance at a bigger bite, just the way the fish were set up, mm-hmm. but I couldn't stop flipping, you know? And uh, it was, it was one of those tournaments where I learned to learn some good lessons, um, but frustrating, you know, and it, it counted for points too. Right. So points are so important. And uh, I, I always want to be one of the dudes that's consistent, always at least making that first cut and uh, putting myself in position to make the championship at the end of the year. And it wasn't a bomb, but um it wasn't a good start to the year, bro. I think I finished 58th. So uh, we need to pick yeah. it up next next week for sure. Right. I'm sure there's, there's 20 guys that would have rather traded spots with you, but. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's 60 on there, 57 on the other side. So you're, you're right, right, dude. It could have been worse, but it certainly could have been better, especially, uh, you know, just where I felt like I was close. I didn't leave there. Like sometimes you leave a tournament saying like, dude, I don't know how to get a bite on this place. Right. Like I really don't know what I would have done differently. But that one, like, it was at my fingertips all tournament, and I just didn't put them on the scale. And I think we've all been there probably mm-hmm. for sure. Like, it's, it's, it's when you get the bites and they don't come in the boat, and when you know you're doing the right thing and you, you see dudes all day long 
that are fishing around you and, and, and they have a good tournament, it sucks to be that guy. The only guy going home doing what you were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. We've all been there. I can think of like the first time I made the national championship and I was fishing around uh, Steve Lund from Arizona and yeah. uh, he made the classic and I went home with my tail between my legs and he made the adjustments and the bait switches and and did all the right things. And I was just like in the right area, but just didn't make it happen. So, I mean, it yeah. and sometimes too, it's literally like it comes down to the most finite details and like being able to pick up on those details and think clearly is that's what separates like the, the truly, truly amazing, super consistent guys from the guys that, you know, don't catch them as consistently for sure. But sometimes luck has a little bit to do with it too, right? Like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that other dude pulled into the pocket in front of you right before you and got those two bites on a frog that told him, or got one bite on a frog that told him, man, this is what you need to be doing. You came in right behind him and pick up your frog and don't get any bites and say, ah, I don't think they're biting the frog. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up the flipping stick again. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what's crazy about tournament fishing, man. It can be such a small, little, minute thing like that. And if your whole tournament's dictated off of it. So sometimes you got to put down the pit boss just to keep them honest. Yeah, dude, it's hard too because it's such a good bait. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It, um, and I've already talked about my 58th plan, uh, place finish a lot more than I wanted to. But um, the reason I say that is. Um, First off, after the event, I talked to a guy that had caught him frogging around me. You know, after I was eliminated, he's like, dude, I caught him on a frog. But a lot of those fish that I was catching and fishing around were locked up, were on beds. But Mm -hmm. the water was too dirty to see them. So I was flipping bushes. And um, I'd flip into the bush, and the, the bed would be kind of the base or the side of the bush, right? And I think I was catching a lot of the males. Like you'd flip into the bush and the male is locked on the bed. The female had laid her eggs and she's maybe sitting three, four feet off the side of the bed, not completely locked on it with the male. And uh, you're not going to catch that female by flipping right into the base of the bush in that situation. A week before, before they got on beds, absolutely. Yeah. The female was sitting in the bush. But in that phase, that female sitting three feet off the bed and she's not going to swim onto the bed to eat your flipping bait like that, right? So, but if you if you come through an entire area and walk a frog all around, the, all through the trees, you know, bring it by the tree, uh, you know, and, and just fish a, a more vast area with it, I think you you were giving yourself a chance at, at getting that bigger fish to commit. Um, that's my theory on afterwards, my, you know, my, uh, arm, not armchair quarterback, but my, uh, just my, my theory on what happened after the event where I could see a little clearly, not, not so much in the heat of battle. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, like, or, or you throw a general around, but obviously a frog, you can cover water a lot more fast. Totally. Those, those are the things that you definitely like non when you're driving home back to Arizona for 12 hours or whatever it is. 12 hours. I wish dude. <laughs> or whatever. I've, I don't know how long a drive it is, but <laughs> a lot longer than that, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so I had a question about the pit boss. Uh, it's pretty popular bait. I've caught fish. I'm sure most of the people, uh, watching tonight have thrown a pit boss and had some success. What are your thoughts? Like, cause they got rid of the havoc, right? And I know yeah. there's a lot of guys that are like super obsessed about scoring old bags of havoc and clearance bins and things like that. Exactly. What are your thoughts on, uh, the, the power bait versus the havoc and, 
That's a good question. Well, I think I, when, when they first announced that they were moving the pit boss out of Havoc into power bait, which you can see, I got a bunch of old bags behind me here. Um, guys were, some guys were a little skeptical at first because they just knew it worked so well. Right. Um, they knew it was such a good bait and honestly the havoc was cheap. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was cheap. You could buy it for, for a super low price, but personally any, there was no scent in it. So it had a great action, it had great colors, but there was no scent. And I've talked about it a lot, man. And, and you know, I know you being, you know, using a lot of power bait, power bait scent is so powerful. And if you can have the same fish catching shape, in a bait with scent, it's 10 times better instantly. So, I mean, I'm stoked, man, that now it's in a, in a power bait bag with power bait scent poured into it. It's uh, I'm a huge believer in scent. I've, I've seen too many different examples, different lakes, different times, different parts of the country where scent seems to make a difference. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about how I was the guy that didn't catch him in the crowd this week. But honestly, man, like over the years, I feel like I've been on the right side of that more ti- more times than not. And I believe using scented baits has been a huge factor in that for sure. Yeah. Do you feel the action is pretty much identical between them? I think so. Yeah. How about you? Do you think it's the same? I think it's the same. I honestly can't say that I've, I don't think I've fished many of the new ones to to give an honest opinion yet. It's the same, dude. It's the, it's, it's the, the action's the same. The colors are, are the same. Um, just better because they've got scent in them. Really? Just a little more expensive. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit, but hey you know it's, yeah, it's uh, not they're not i mean in in the grand scheme of things berkeley stuff's not expensive like when you compare it to a lot of what's in the market so um, sure. yeah yeah i mean it might cost you a dollar more a bag now and, and i definitely like alluded to that earlier it was cheap when it was habit but it's so worth it especially if you if if, if you fish a couple tournaments fish a couple tournaments man i mean if it helps you get one check in one tournament ever you just paid for all the extra dollars of of uh, bags of power yeah. bait you're ever gonna buy you know what i mean so it's it's for sure to me. i mean i think there's times that they definitely hold on to the power bait or you i don't know if you get a bite or but like i remember back in the day like it seems like a lot more fish would take my power slug right down to their gullet than sure. you know maybe something like a sluggo right like uh so i can definitely think like i mean it happens with all worms but i think certain times they're going to take it deeper. They're going to hold on to it. I mean, every scenario is a little different, but I think day in and day out, it's not going to hurt you. That's for darn sure. I agree. What the, and I agree with that. I see the question there too. I think it does. I think they do hold on to it longer. One of the reasons I think that is I've been to the factory uh, several times, dude, and I've seen all the tests and, and they tested on actual fish. And these are, you know, they, they know how to run tests where it's, it's, it's a non-biased, completely level, deal when they have these they'll put a brand new fish right in front of you and show you how long it'll hold on to a power bait and then how long it'll hold on to something else you know a lot of times they're just taking like a little a cotton ball or something like that and dipping it in power bait scent and then some other type of scent and uh, you'll see those fish man they hold on to it forever before they spit that thing out and and they take some some other scented bait non-power bait non-berkeley they eat it, they spit it out after a couple seconds, you know? So it's, I mean, I've seen it there, but the other thing I've seen without making it sound too much like an infomercial, but it's real, it's real uh, experience is that, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll put your rod, like you're, you're out in the boat fishing and you put your rod down to get a drink to help, 
net a fish for a buddy to pick up the phone to do whatever. And like, I think we've all had that experience where you get a bite when your rod was down, you go to pick up, it's like, Oh, there's a fish on. But uh, dude, that happens so much when I'm using power bait, but even more so with max scent, like there's been so many memorable fish catches, even just in the last couple of years mm-hmm. where my max scent was sitting on the bottom motionless and a fish came over and ate it when I was netting a partner's fish or something like that it happens all the time. Yeah. And, and, but I, I think part of that is scent and part of it's like the power of dead sticking. <laughs> like, I hear I've, it. Had, I've had plenty all- of other baits like soft plastics that, whether it was maybe it's the salt or whatever, but like non-power baits, like sometimes like my dad was a smoker, like he <laughs> don't condone smoking, but like he'd throw out his bait and like get a cigarette out. And like, and then like some days, like that was how you had to catch them. You literally let it had to sit there for 30 seconds before a fish was going to pick it up. Yeah. But. Yeah, for sure. I hear that. I hear that. It definitely <laughs> happens with all baits. I just feel like it happens more with this. Yeah. And maybe it's just my confidence level of it, man. But for sure. I hear that. Sometimes we fish too fast. You get a backlash, and you pick out the backlash. It uh, happened to me, not this time at Rayburn, but the last time we were at Rayburn. It was the third day of the tournament, and uh, I was having a tough morning fishing spots that I knew were good with big fish. And it took it took me getting a backlash and picking out a backlash for two minutes to pick up and feel a bite to tell me, like, dude, slow down. And I slowed down the rest of the day big time and, and ended up doing really well. And uh, – like no matter how experienced you end up, you know, you, you are and how prepared you think you are for a day on the water. It's easy to start fishing too fast. Yeah, for sure. We don't endorse uh, smoking cigs. You got like switch it out for a sandwich Guggen Slayer, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you live in Arizona and I feel like you're one of the guys that's kind of holding out. Like there's less and less of you guys that are staying in Arizona. Uh and I think you tow your boat back at, between every event mostly, or do you guys ever leave it over there? Or what, what, what is your kind of like your travel style? And I mean, you talked about it on your podcast, but just maybe give the guys yeah. or the people watching a little bit of like your methodology of how you travel and what do you do with your rig and that kind of stuff with the great distances for events. That's cool. Yeah. So a lot of guys are and have moved back East, especially the guys from California because they have an even farther drive. I mean, these guys that live in, central to northern california have a full day farther than i do but like just for example like rayburn that was one of the closest tournaments i'll have all year to my house and it was 20 hours uh, hmm. next week we're going to north carolina that's 30 hours from my house so i can't drive back in between if I, if we've got a month off i'll drive home because i want to fish when i'm here but um what i'll do is a lot of times i'll just leave it um, I'll leave it wherever I'm going. You know, I'll drive it to a buddy's house, park it, try to get a ride to the airport and fly home. And that's what I did. I'm only home for a week right now between here, uh, between that last event and then heavy hitters. So I just, I left it at Gerald Spore's house in Louisiana, flew out of Baton Rouge and, uh, I came home. I'll tell you, uh, I'm not a good planner. Like I love preparing for the fishing aspect, but lining up these places to park my rig and booking flights and, Sometimes leaving my rig at the airport, I hate that. Like, I, I hate it. I'm worried that I'm worried about my rig back there because I got all my stuff in it. I'm scared you know, it's going to get broken into. Um, but it is what it is, man. You just can't drive. You can't drive home 20 plus hours and then turn around a week later and do it again. Like right. Just so, 
uh, I will say it's funny, like, and it always seems to happen. You'll have like, we'll have a great week of weather at a tournament. And um, the day before I leave, so like the last, whatever the last day of fishing is, we get a soaker of a rainstorm and everything on my boat and in my boat gets wet. And then I have to like cover it and lock it up and leave it for however long, a couple weeks. And uh, there's been so many times that happened. And I, I came back and everything was molded. My rods and reels have Ugh. fur growing on them and uh, like just so many baits and stuff that have been ruined over the years. So uh, that's something I never had to deal with out here because the climate's so dry and everyone back east is kind of more used to knowing how to how to prevent that type of stuff. But uh, every time, dude, it'll be great weather all week and like an hour before weigh-in last day, everything gets soaked and then I have to cover my rig and, and, and just – let that mold grow until I can go back and, and <laughs> it again. It sucks. You got to invent some kind of like uh, fan-driven like restriculation system for under your cover. Seriously, I got one inside the compartments of my boat. Nitro has one actually, but yeah, it yeah. doesn't doesn't do it doesn't get that moisture out of the carpets and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'm good, dude. So there's a quick question: power swimmer or champ swimmer? <clears throat> A good one. Uh, they're definitely a little bit different. The power swimmer I use more often, honestly, just mm-hmm. because in more sizes and more colors. The champ swimmer is really cool though, and it's more of a, it's a uh, more of a solid, a little bit bulkier bait. It's actually a really yeah. good trailer on like a swim jig, a vibrating jig. It works good just on a uh, just like a half ounce jig head, just casting it around and slow rolling it. But um, so I, I definitely like them both. Uh, and the cool thing about the, both of them really is how, how long they hold up. Like they literally, you can catch so many fish on both of those baits uh, compared to other soft bait, soft swim baits that have like, they're loaded with salt. They catch a lot of fish and they're great baits, but they just, they come apart. And uh, you know, like if you're into fish that are, are chasing bait and you're catching a lot of fish in a row, you're never having to change your bait out. Um even like skipping it around, I, skip. I, I figured out a couple of years ago that you could really skip it up underneath docks, like when there's a shad right. spot going on. I can't. I, have you ever skipped a swim bait like that before? Just a bare swim bait, just like a, on an EWG hook, or no, like just like well, yeah, you could, yeah, but like in, in this case, I did it with like a quarter ounce head. Sure, it's it's amazing how well it skips. Like I can't, I, I can't mean, believe it, dude. I mean, I believe it. A chatterbait with a swimmer on it skips really yeah. easy. Yeah, so. Uh, but it's, it's, so with that being said, when you're skipping that thing around, which I'm going to start doing a lot, once we get to post spawn and shad spawn season, it holds up and you can hit a dock with it accidentally. You can, you can skip it. And it's not going to tear up. So I like it for that. Yeah. Cool. So you fly back on short trips and then like longer trips, you'll drive back. So you have your boat at home. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to be home for like three, four weeks, you're going to drive back, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'd like to have a second rig out here so I can fish when I'm at home. But, um, I live in a regular neighborhood here in Phoenix. So like, I just don't have the room. I got a pretty good sized garage where I can put my one boat, but um, I don't have room for a second boat. So uh, I'd like to buy an old Peter and just like an old bass tracker or something, you know, that I, that's reliable that I can um, take around the lakes just when I'm, when I'm bored and off so I can just go fish, but uh, I don't have room for it. You just use Nick's boat. He'll be fine. His is good. I mean, I hear nothing but good things. That's hilarious. Yeah, Nick from our podcast. He's he's one of my best buds, and uh, his 
that dude, he, he buys, he buys some funny stuff and he's got the most unreliable vehicles and boats of all time. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's classic. <laughs> so that's a good segue. Like, so for people that don't know, uh, your podcast, uh, that you started with two of your buddies, uh, is the anglers happy hour. Uh, I guess maybe just like, why did you get started? And it's probably been like a, over a year now that you've been doing yeah, it, man. Yeah. And, um, appreciate that, man. Uh, it's, uh, we've been doing it for a little, a little bit over a year. I think we just hit 70 episodes, which is shocking, man. That's a big mm-hmm. commitment for all three of us are, are, are pretty dudes that don't commit to a lot of different stuff other than uh, just our, our normal everyday stuff. So, uh, glad we, glad we've been able to do it that long, but, um, it's a lot like this where it's, it's a lot of it's just a hangout, right? It's just you and your buddies. And we call it Angler's Happy Hour because it's kind of – we talk about a little bit of nuts and bolts stuff. We do some interviews. Like we've had, you know, uh, uh, quite a few other, you know, anglers and pros and stuff on the show. But um, even when we get them on, you know, we're not asking them a lot of nuts and bolts questions. We're asking them about the gnarliest hotel they ever stayed at, you know, uh, silly stories that that we get teed up on from other buddies so it's a lot of smack talk you know just just hanging out with your buddies uh, uh you know at dinner or at the bar is kind of what we talk about a lot of the you know stories behind the scenes and and extras but we try to talk about fishing sometimes too because yeah that's what we do and uh we got to give at least a little bit of value to the listeners and every once every couple episodes we'll talk about something legitimate or valid for sure yeah it's probably 25 percent like actual fishing like knowledge things that could help you catch fish and 25 percent like things that you learn about what to avoid in life through nick and then uh 50 of just entertainment i love it dude yeah and hey thanks man because i know you listen dude and and nick's gonna love gonna love that when he listens to this but uh, i thought about trying to go back channel like through bailey and get a hold of those guys and have them surprise you but i was too lazy that's, that'd be good. And Bailey's got another great show himself, man. But uh, yeah, Nick is, he's not afraid to make fun of himself. And uh, dude, every single week he's got something that went catastrophically wrong in his life. And uh, we love, we love listening to it for sure. It's fun. Yeah. I, I think uh, Bono, you can pretty much search anglers happy hour on whether it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever your app is. I'm sure you'll find it. I think. Yeah, we're not not uh, no video like this. We're, we don't have our stuff together like Rich, but we are on all audio platforms, so Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, and it's usually pretty close to once a week. Um, so. Yeah, every Monday. <laughs> They're about an hour long. They're not too long. They're not super long like mine. Uh, uh, so Thomas, he's curious. Uh, I've never used any of the Abu rods. Uh, what are your thoughts on the winch or what, I don't know, maybe like, what do you like the winch series for? So the winch series, they're, they're really designed for reaction baits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of, I've used about half of them. I can't say that I've used every single model. I tested the, I tested the seven, two spinning rod. I've been using that for like two years and uh, it's an awesome rod for, so basically let me back up. They're composite rods. So um, what's interesting about like a lot of composite rods, it's a blend of fiberglass and graphite. And typically a lot of composite rods feel really bulky and heavy in your hand and really whippy at the tip. You want them to be soft rods. That's the benefit of a composite rod is when a fish takes the bait, you don't instantly feel it because that fiberglass deadens it just a little bit. So it it prevents you from swinging too fast. Uh, But the other thing is it makes the action really parabolic. And it makes that rod bend really slowly. So it's not 
once that fish is hooked, it's not pulling the treble hooks out. Um, what's interesting is these rods don't, they have all those characteristics, but they don't feel heavy and bulky and whippy. Like it feels like a graphite rod. And, and at first, like, honestly, the, these first several rods I got, I was like, Oh, I thought these were going to be composite rods. I didn't realize they were going to be graphite when I first picked them up. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, they're composite. So, um, all reaction baits, particularly baits with treble hooks. Any, anytime you got a bait with treble hooks, but they make like, they make one, it's a seven, five medium, heavy, awesome chatterbait rod. Uh, that was designed basically for throwing vibrating jigs. So that's not a treble hook bait. Um, and then uh, like that spinning rod that I told you, I tested a bunch. It's awesome for spy baits, but I also I'll throw little hair jigs on that thing too, man. It's a seven, two. So you got a little <laughs> bit more distance or a little bit more length than your standard six, mm-hmm. ten, seven footer to cast. And uh, it's a good action for that too. Very cool. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was spy baits, because I've heard you talk a few times and a lot of people really swear by straight fluoro or straight mono for spy baits, but I'm pretty sure you're a braid connection knot. I am. Uh, so what is, uh, I mean, maybe talk about your theory, your experience and what your setup is for spy baits. Cause like I have not ever like smashed them on spy baits, but I do know a lot of people that dabble with them. One of their big complaints is like, you either talk to people that talk like they talk about they never lose them or people that say they can't barely keep a fish hooked. Sure. So maybe give me like you've obviously thrown them quite a bit. Maybe give everybody listening your setup, your theory and your experience with yeah. spy bait. That's cool, man. Well, knock on wood. If I say it, dude, I'm screwed, but knock on wood. I feel like I'm one of those guys that rarely loses fish on spy baits, you know, it, and it's, it scares a lot of people away because those treble hooks are so little. I mean, they're number eight treble hooks on most five baits you buy. And as a bass fisherman, you look at those things and you say, oh, my God, those things have to lose so many fish. For me, that's not been that way. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, you're, you're totally right. Like, yeah, look at those little guys. Those are tiny little hooks, bro. Um, <laughs> that's what, what you need on a spy bait to make it work right. But in my experience, I – I, I'm a Nanofil fan. I've always been a Nanofil fan from Berkeley. I don't use it on all spinning rods, but any spinning rod where you need to make a long cast, I think it's the ball. You can, it's the sports car of super lines. Like, I don't know. Have you ever used Nanofil, Rich? It's, it's a love or hate deal, dude. Like, like some people try it and they say, oh, dude, I just don't know. They're used to regular braid and they have an issue. Maybe they use the wrong size or, or tie the wrong knot. But if it's, it's like a sports car. If you can tie the right knot, which I like an Alberta knot for it, um, not use too long of a leader, watch, like, you know, watch it, change it. It's not going to last for five years. I change it like once a year, unlike other braids, which you can keep on for a long, long time. Dude, it's going to outperform any other super line. You can cast that stuff. Honestly, I feel like 25, 30, 40% farther than any other line on the market. Uh, with all that being said, that that's why I like it for spy baits because you can flick your wrist and that spy bait, you can cast it so far. And, and I think a, a long cast is important with spy baits. Um, you're fit, you're in clear water, sometimes dealing with finicky fish and that bait just works better on a long cast. So, um, I use a leader, of course, you know, I, anytime in clear water, I like to use a leader. So I'm using like a six pound leader and then a really light rod with a really light drag. 
you know, and people say you need straight mono or you need straight fluoro. Maybe, um, maybe to maybe they feel like it gets that keeps that bait down. But to me, the bait's going to stay down on its own. I know a big reason people say that is to have a little bit of stretch in their line for those tiny treble hooks. But if you've got your drag backed off light and uh, you've got a really soft rod, the rod I use that seven two winch medium light from Abu, and uh, dude, they just I just don't lose them. Uh, that's it's a small bait, so if you get right, a, you catch a small fish and it doesn't get it in its mouth, there's a chance you'll lose it. Like I've noticed yeah. that with small spotted bass, like it's a great way to catch spotted bass and you'll lose some small spotted bass because they don't get it in their mouth. They're hooked in the side or something like that and they'll come off. But a big small mouth or a big large mouth, it's like a little dude. It's, it's like a little skittle. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a small little bait for them to eat. It's like that popping the M and M into their mouth. It's nothing. And uh, a lot of times when you catch them, they got that thing T-boned across the side of their mouth. So, um, you know, and then, you know, the bite's kind of interesting too. Like I'm, I'm sure you've experienced that bite. Like it's a soft bite when they eat that thing, but they, I mean, they take it in and swallow it. Um, so just using a really, really light rod and backed off drag is key if you're going to use braid. But for me, the benefits of being able to cast it farther and just not having to deal with constantly changing out fluorocarbon, um, that's, that's everything for me. Yeah. Does the Nanofill float like other braids or is it? Yeah, it's got, it, as far as that goes, it's a similar properties to other braids. Okay. Um, you know, if, if Nanofill didn't exist, I'd still probably use like an eight pound braid, a real small braid to be able to get real long cast still. But as long as they make Nanofill, I'm going to use it because it is, it, it, I use it for, for spy baits and small swim baits. Like if you ever throw like a small 2.8 or 3.3, size swim bait where you're bombing that thing phenomenal uh, another thing it's great for is hair jigs i love throwing hair jigs with it um because you can just you can launch those light baits yeah and how long a leader do you like to run for that so yeah i mentioned not having too long of a leader i don't like the leader to be in the reel i like that leader mm-hmm. to be ideally at least out of the reel so like that would be Say, for instance, you make a cast and you have a foot of line between your bait and your rod tip when you go to make your cast. That's a seven-foot leader. You know, a, a six- to eight-foot leader is kind of what I like. Okay. So not super long because I know a lot of other people, like the people that do run blade to floral for Kytex, and a lot of times they'll run like a 10-, 20-foot leader. Sure. So they feel like they get more of that fluorocarbon to pull it down. But I get that. And if I was using an FG knot, I would probably be more willing to get that, that knot up in my reel. I just, I'm a big fan of the Alberta, man. I, I don't like, you know, if it ever breaks on the water, not the knot, but if I ever have to retie on the water, I don't like the amount of time the F- FG takes. And um, so, but I know it's a great knot and I know some super stellar fishermen that swear by it. So I know it's good. I just, I'm an Alberta knot guy. Um, but yeah, and yeah I, haven't, I haven't made the jump to the FG either. <laughs> but, uh, are you an Alberta knot tired as well? Yeah. Right on. It's a good knot, dude. It's never, I've never broken a fish off at that knot. Um, but I get, I get, you know, the bait, how the bait would act a little differently, but um, spy baits, man, they, most spy baits, they get down. I mean, like the problem is keeping them up more than it's getting them down, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because you want to reel them so slow to make them, rock and uh like we designed two at berkeley 
it's the we designed the regular spy 70 and the slow six 70 because half the time your problem is keeping it up off the bottom if you're trying to fish it across a shallow reef or a flat or something like that and you want to reel it slow so it so it rocks that thing's getting down on the bottom and snagging um so we actually designed even a slow sink for that scenario but but in my experience Keeping it down has never been the problem because it's got such a fast sink to begin with. I mean, if you cast that, if you want to fish suspended fish in 20 feet, 20 feet deep, cast it out, let it count to 20, and then reel it back slow, and it stays in 20 feet all the way back. Yeah. Um, Bono's got a question. So does Nano Phil come in high-vis colors, and what is the cost compared to other braids? That's, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, they do. They make it in a white, and they make it in a low-vis green. So, personally, I use – I like the green. Um, I use some white braids, but in this case, we're talking about a bait that we're casting and reeling through the water column horizontally. So, I don't like that white line because – in this scenario, because that line is coming through the water column right before the bait. You know, even if you're using a leader – you still got this strand and white line that's coming through the water column right in front of that fish like this or right in front of the bait. Here comes the white line. And then back here, here comes the bait, you know, uh, t- 10 seconds later. Yeah. Uh, low is green. And I've seen it, dude. Some of our lakes out here are really clear and heavily pressured. And uh, I've seen it where it's made a difference. I fully believe hmm. that. So um, I like white if I'm throwing like a wacky rig and you want to – and that bait's falling vertically because the, that line never comes through the strike zone before the bait, the bait's coming down. And then 10 seconds later, here comes your line. Sure. Um, Cause you're using a leader uh, vertical. I love high vis lines, but um, in this case, like all of my nanofilm is low vis green because I'm using it to cast horizontally. And like, I use a lot of X five braid from Berkeley for like drop shotting mm-hmm. and wacky rigs vertical stuff even if you're casting a drop shot it's coming down through the water the bait comes down before the line no problem using white line i love white line for that stuff yeah is it pretty comparable to the x5 cost wise um cost wise dude it's in the same ballpark i can't give you exact couple bucks whatever i mean it's not like it's it's not not wild it's certainly not wild and like i said it, it doesn't it lasts way longer than fluorocarbon for sure but it does not last as long as braid. And I think that's something too, like, dude, like if you try to keep that stuff on your line and you go fishing 200 times, it's going to start to look, it's going to flatten out. It's going to look a little different and um, it's time to change it, you know, but, but you can, you can spool it up, use fish heavily for a year and no problems at all. Yeah. What's up shadow. Um, Yeah. Sycamore. We're talking about connection knots for braid to floral so that's uh where we're talking about the complicated knots not tying to the lure uh here's a question from michael minnan he's uh wants to know which one of the central arizona lakes is your favorite or you spend the most time on what's up man uh looks like you might be an arizona guy i don't know if that's bank one ballpark or chase field in, in your picture or what that stadium is but um i like them all roosevelt's probably my favorite because that's where it really cut my teeth fishing tournaments mm-hmm. and got the most fish. It's a great, very diverse lake. Uh, Saguaro is another one that's closest to my house and it's got giant Florida strain fish. And uh, that's where I'll go to 
that just have some fun on a, on a quick day of fishing. And I've, I've caught my two biggest fish I've ever caught have been out of Saguaro. So that's my favorite. Yeah, Shadow, sorry. I've been starting a little earlier. Uh, Nick says he listens to the podcast all the time. Bro, appreciate that big time. Uh, so Thomas has got a question about uh, what's your favorite fusion hook for Nico rigs and okay. are there any weedless options? I can't believe you guys get this many, uh, this much feedback. I'm amazed. This is awesome, dude. I love the, all the questions. This is killer. Um, dude, you know, for me, uh, the Nico rig is a, it's such a good way to get fit. Uh, we make a, a wacky rig hook and we make a weedless one. Um, so I throw that, I throw that a lot of times, especially on smaller baits. Um, you know, I keep it pretty basic. I use like a, a size one and, um, like I said, you could buy it weedless and, um, yes, yeah, Nico rig is one of those rigs. I'd rather drop shot, you know, and, and mm-hmm. they're, they're somewhat different, but a lot of times they overlap each other. So I'm not the greatest Nico rig fisherman in the world and wacky rigs in general. I use them when I have to, when things are funky and I need them to get bit, but, uh, I reach for a drop shot before if, if I can. Cause I feel like I lose less fish on a drop shot. You know, when fish eat a bait, the wacky rig, that bait will ball up. And, uh, I feel like you lose a few more fish, but, uh, that's what I use for sure is that they make a wacky rig hook. Yeah. I, I tend to fish my Nico rigs a little shallower. Like I don't, I rarely fish. I mean, you can fish a drop shot shallow too, obviously, but like yeah. I typically drop shots a little deeper for me. Uh, I use my Nico rig it's kind of a change up to a wacky rig where I want to kind of power fish it a little more and fish it maybe around wood or docks that are a little deeper. And I don't want to wait for like a weightless wacky rig. That's when I like to use a Nico and like maybe that like three to six or eight foot. Um, that in zone. Yeah. yeah that, that's where I like sure. to use a Nico rig um, and kind of power fish a little more. And even a lot of times I'll throw it on a bait casting rod on like 12 pound line or something like that. Interesting. Huh? That's I had cool. a really, really fantastic day on Gunnersville one time. And, uh, it was, I don't know. I got into a pocket and it felt like the fish had never seen a Nico rig in their life and they were just crushing it. And that's one of the most pressured lakes in the world. That's and cool. uh, I was just shocked the size and quality of fish I caught one day. So it still doesn't get fished as much as other rigs, man. It still is definitely an awesome alternative and it flat out gets bit. That's cool. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Steve's checking in from Wachita. Uh, Michael says he's actually new to losing her Conroe, but his dad lived in the Phoenix in the eighties. So that's minute made. Oh no. The home of the, uh, the trash can bangers right on, man. (laughs) But cool. So, Back to tournament fish a little bit. So you're only doing your BPT schedule this year, right? You're not adding anything on top. You're just kind of focusing on that. Yeah. You know, I've got, it ended up being like 11 or 12 tournaments. So mm-hmm. uh, at least without cups. So I wanted to fish the big five. I, I fished those super tournaments last year, had a blast. I mean, I, I, I loved them. D- did well. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I had three good, good tournaments and uh, dude, it was just a, uh, it was a, it was too much. Like I looked at the schedule and I've got a two year old and a four year old. Do you have kids, Rich? Yeah, I got a 10 and a 12. Okay. So the same age gap, dude. Um, if I was going to fish the pro circuit and BPT along with everything else, I would have been home from February through uh, September. I would have been home for less than 30 days total. Yeah. I can't, I just can't do that. You know, and it would have been cool for my sponsors and cool for me to fish all those tournaments, but, I just, I can't, I want to be there 
more than that for my kids. So, uh, for sure. so I'm like 10 or 11 or 12 tournaments, but um, seven regular season BPTs, he- heavy hitters, Red Crest, AZ Open, uh, US Open, and uh, any cups. You can make up to four cups. So mm-hmm. uh, it could end up being like 15, which is a lot. In a typical year, I fish between eight and 12 major tournaments, right? So uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still, I'll be, you're not John Cox. I mean, but whatever. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, that guy, dude, <laughs> I he's going to do it. And, and props to him. I, I, I'm impressed, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not jealous of that at all. Honestly. Yeah. That's no, it's, going to be unbelievable. Yeah. So, so no chance you're going to jump into like a Western Toyota or anything like that or. Oh. And I love the, the cool thing is I can do that if I want. Like they right. have that wild card for the Toyota series, which is sweet, man. And I'm looking at, I'm still looking at doing that, maybe fishing one or two westerns and one or two up north this summer. Where you can like swing through and be like, I'm not coming home for a week, so I can go to wherever and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It also gives you the freedom to really like do research and prep for tournaments too. And it goes both ways. Like I'm not a guy that goes and pre practices for every tournament, um, because you can definitely do too much and overthink it. Um, but there's times when you do need to put a little work in, man. Like you're going mm-hmm. to a place for the first time, um, which there's only, I think one lake on the schedule this year that I've never been to, but that's a time where it'd be really nice to be able to say, look, I got a, I got an extra couple of days. I'm going to go down there and check it out compared to if, if you don't have any time to think and, and your time at home, like this week while I'm at home, I'm spending tons of time on Google earth and doing research and stuff like that. If you were doing nothing but fishing, you don't have that time. So um, it goes both ways and, and every angle is different. But for me, that sweet spot is, is like 10 or 12 tournaments a year. That's, that's enough to get exposure um, and, and stay in the groove, but right. it's not too much to where you're chasing your tail and you're unprepared for events, you know? Right. So you said you're, you're home studying. Are you, are you looking at uh, North Carolina? Is this your, your prep for heavy hitters? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, that and events further down the line. But, um, yeah, you know, I try to look just for one or two events ahead. So, like, I'm looking at North Carolina a lot. I'm looking at Lake Travis a lot. Beyond that, anything I learn past that, I'll forget by the time we get there. So, um, yeah, man, just just lots of lots of study on those for sure. So you, you are qualified for heavy hitters. Is everybody fishing that, or did you have to from last year? Or how, what's the – What they did was uh, the top. So they kept your big bass from every tournament. You, you kept total of everyone's big bass from every tournament and the top 40 out of the 80, the highest totals made it. So, okay. um, so this is based on last year though. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But everybody made heavy hitters last year, right? Cause of the weird schedule change. Exactly. They had yeah. things so jacked up. They decided to put it and count it towards points and it was understandable. We missed events during right. COVID, and stuff, but it's back to normal now. And that's how they're going to do it every year. They add up, they take your biggest fish from every tournament and that counts towards it. And then at the end of the year, it all averages out. So uh, it was pretty good last year. It was five events, but it took over a five pound average, if I remember right, to make it. And uh, what's funny is, is Jordan Lee is such a stud. His total, his average um, big fish per event was over seven pounds. Hmm. He had over uh, 35 pounds for his big fish total from every tournament. And that included the smallmouth tournament too. So uh, that was, I mean, that's <laughs> your big fish. Sometimes your big fishing event is a little luck, but obviously it wasn't with him, man. A seven pound average per tournament for his big fish. 
Yeah. So what where, where was your average and what, where, where did you land in the top 40? I think I was like 16th. And, and uh, what's funny is I remember Jordan's because it was so eye popping and I don't think I remember mine. It was somewhere just under six, I think. Okay. But uh, his was, I mean, a seven, seven plus every term. It's ridiculous. We fished some good lakes. I mean, four, sure. uh, uh, Okeechobee, Falla. But uh, I think my average was uh, was a little bit under six. Right. Kind of where's well, heavy this year? It's in North Raleigh, North Carolina. So there's there's three lakes we fished a couple of years ago: Falls, Jordan, and Sheeran Harris. They're they're big fish factories. I don't know how they're fishing now. When we were there last time, it was pretty amazing, man. Like it, the average fish was way over three pounds, uh, maybe even pushing four. It was really it was some of the biggest average largemouth that I've ever seen anywhere in the country. Yeah. And that's a week out, two weeks out. It's I'm leaving in a few days. Yeah. We start in about a week. We start in okay. about a week. Yep. And they'll, I mean, they're going to like start on one lake and then they're going to bounce around. You're going to like kind of rotate through all three lakes. If you keep advancing the rounds. Like exactly. last time. Yeah. They're going to, you know, we, we all know the format. I don't know if they're, as far as the lakes in the order, I don't know if that's been posted yet. So dude, I, I probably shouldn't say it, but yes, all three lakes, we're going to fish all three lakes. Yeah. And actually I, we just, uh, my family and I, I don't know, about a month ago now we drove to uh North Carolina outer banks for vacation and I drove right by the exits and I was like, Oh man. You thought about it, huh? Yeah, I was like, before then, because I had never heard of these lakes, dude. I had heard of them just a little bit before the first year you guys went because there was like some news on like Bass Fan or Wired to Fish when they were talking about those 40, 50 pound bags or whatever they were kicking out. So that's the first time I had heard of them. Like, I guess they're just just small enough to not host a 150 boat tournament. Like, the lakes are like, 15,000 acres. The two Jordan and Falls are in that 15,000 acre range. And then Sheeran Harris is like 4,000 or 5,000. Um, yeah. And I see I, uh, that. Yeah. So we're definitely going to all three lakes, man. I just can't, I don't know um, when they're going to announce the order, but uh, all three lakes for sure. Cool. So have you ever fished a Sturgeon Bay open? Uh, no, I haven't. And I'd, I'd love to, man. I'd love to. It's uh I've never been up there that early. Um, I've only been there twice. Once in September, it was quite tough. And then it was really good, or pretty good, I guess, when we were there last July. But I hear it's unbelievable when that Sturgeon Bay opens happening. And totally yeah. different deal. I'd love to fish it. Yeah, I have not made it over there yet. Actually, if everything goes right, I'll be fishing a tournament there in September this year, which I don't know that will be a fantastic time here to fish it's there. Tough, but bro. It's, but, it's probably going to be tough. Still probably better than most places, just tough for Sturgeon Bay. Yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of our tough time of the year is that early September, mid-September. Like, that's kind of like when the down south gets tough in, like, October, early November. That's kind of our, like, middle September up where we live. So Yeah, I got you. That makes sense. Transitional, everything's moving around. Uh, so, yeah, that's exciting. Uh so this is, I forget, is the strategy or the any different for heavy hitters as far as like, I know there's like bonuses for big fish every day, but is it still the same format or is it slightly different? It's similar format. Um, the big thing is there's no points involved, which right. still you're going to do as well as you can, period. But there are huge bonuses for big fish. So like the first round, the elimination round, that's where, you know, you got 40 guys in the tournament. So you got two groups of 20. 
the biggest fish, you know, per group in that round is going to get 25 grand. So um, there's two guys that are going to get 25 grand, one out of each group. Then if you can advance to the knockout round, you get the get in the top 10 out of the 20 in your group. You make the knockout round. Big fish that day is 50 grand. And then the championship round, the last day, is going to be 100 grand for big fish. And there's still payout depending on how you finish, like a, like a normal tournament, but those bonuses. So I don't know. The way I'm looking at it is you've got to get a real shot at that big, big money. You've got to advance anyways. So right. I'm really – my focus is going to be on getting out of that first round. And and if you get out of that first round, those last couple of days, man, anything can happen. And and I definitely will focus more on techniques that will give me a chance at getting that big fish because there are no points, right? So if you get lucky and catch that that big fish and win 50 or 100 grand, who cares how you finish in the tournament? You know, like, but, but to get to that point, you got to get through that first round. So I'm going to treat it in practice like a regular tournament where I need, to, I need to advance, I need to make the cut. And uh, then at that point, you switch to a different lake and, and and that crazy you know money is there for big fish. So I can't imagine what it would feel like to catch a fish like that. Like, you know, to get lucky and catch a nine or 10 pounder in that scenario and know it was worth just, that kind just of ask, Just ask Jordan, I'm sure he'll tell you. Dude, like. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he'll, he'll be like, oh, it ain't, yeah, you know, it was cool. No I just big, got lucky, you know. Yeah, no big deal for Jordan. Uh, <laughs> that's why we all love him. But, um, dude, a, a couple of years ago, uh, when Bass Fest would have the Texas Bass Fest, they gave yeah. away tundra for big fish. And the first cast, I'm not kidding you, the first cast of the first morning of the tournament, I caught like an 8-8. Eight, eight. And uh, on Lake Travis, which, I don't know, dude, like there's a chance that's going to hold up. Like yeah. eight, eight, it's, it's, it's definitely not guaranteed, but when you catch that fish, you're like, man, like this this this, this thing for like a day or two anyways. Um but I go literally an hour later, I'm fishing down the bank and we didn't have like live scoring at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go around the bank and I see Adrian Avina and he's like, Hey, how's your morning going? And I'm like, dude, it's, it's pretty good. I got an eight, eight. And uh, he's like, you want me to burst your bubble? And I was mm-hmm. like, uh, no, not, not really. And he's like, well, Bobby Lane caught an eight, nine right in front of me. Uh, first thing this morning. So uh, <laughs> It didn't last very long, dude. But yeah, yeah, I, it would be so crazy to catch uh, a fish like that and make fifty or hundred grand on one fish. Yeah. So you talked about fishing big baits, like if, as you advance in the rounds, or big fish baits, maybe not big baits. But what are what are your some of your go to techniques, or like what do you what what's churning in your head now for for heavy hitters? Like what are you thinking uh, to get those bigger bites? So it's seasonal, right? Like sometimes, sometimes truly just picking up a big bait will get you big bites, right? Like sometimes it's as easy as saying the conditions are right. Let me throw a swim bait or a glide bait. But a lot of times it's, it's, it's taking advantage. Yeah. Something, dude, is that a pike lure or what, bro? I don't know. It's like a musky sized bladed jig. (laughs) Hilarious. Yeah. I'm going to need that down there. Uh, That thing's ugly. That's hilarious. (laughs) I can see a, a big, angry, Northern toothy fish eating that thing. That's for sure. Uh, but like sometimes, like when we're there, it's going to be on the spot. So if you're looking for big fish, like in my opinion, when the fish are nearer on beds, like 
getting on your trolling motor and finding a big bed fish is it gives you as good or a better chance of catching a 10 pounder than anything. So it, another t- other times a year, sometimes it's a forage thing. Like I found on certain lakes, like that have a bunch of different types of forage. If you're targeting, if you're trying to target big bass, you know, uh, your kicker fish or tournament winning fish, sometimes over, sometimes over just using like a big fish bait, getting around like the right forage. Like there are yeah. fish, say, uh, say it's a Tennessee river lake and you've got fish that are keying in on threadfin shad and then fish that are keying in on gizzard shad. Those gizzard shad eating fish are going to be so much bigger because they're bigger to eat a six or seven or eight inch shad. You might catch them on the same bait that you would catch those. You might throw the same crankbait in that school as you would on the school on, on threadfin shad. But, um, so sometimes it's using a bigger bait. Um, sometimes it's taking advantage of a time of year thing like the spawn. And then sometimes too, it's getting around those bigger forage and, um, just using whatever bait, but just knowing, Hey, these fish here are targeting bluegill. They're targeting gizzard shad. It's, I have a better chance to catch a big fish here than on other types of situations. Or the crappie eaters. Totally. Yep. That's, that's just it. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, maybe on smallmouth lakes, sometimes it's the perch eaters. Uh, totally. like that. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I could definitely. I mean, if I was in the same situation and there was big fish spawning, I mean, I think I would probably have my trolling motor on seventy, and then I'd probably be chucking a swim bait or a frog as I was looking. Oh, yeah, and those are two great big fish baits, and that swim bait will show you a lot of big fish too that you might not have seen. You know, it's a good, it's a good way to even pull a big fish off a deep bed that you never even knew was there, and yeah. follow it back and say, "Oh, that's the bed right there." But uh, yep, for sure. Cool. Very cool. Um. That's one thing I wanted to share. So I, I posted a, like a, a quick little uh, a poll on my page the other day, which I thought was kind of interesting. I just want to share that. that was one of the things I wanted to show. Uh, like, and I just thought it was funny because I thought people, everybody kind of wants to know where they are with everybody else, I think. And I posted this little poll of like how many fishing reels, right? Like of my audience, like what, Right. So like 200, almost 250 people voted. And I thought it was an interesting distribution of like, where are we all at that are like watching the channel? Right. Like, so clearly everybody fishes. Everybody has a couple rods. Right. Uh, but most of us are in the between two and 25. And then uh, I'm guessing you and I, uh, Josh, are in the uh, can my wife see this poll percentage. Degenerate <laughs> fisherman stage. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's for sure dude yeah i don't even I, half my most of my rods are in the uh are in the boat dude and i got a hundred sitting behind me right here and most of them are yeah. in my boat but if you guys didn't vote yet go vote uh that's i just thought that was a fun little poll that's um, awesome i love it you got some hardcore fishermen yeah and so actually today just before the stream we had four thousand subscribers on the channel so that's pretty cool congrats that's huge so we're excited about that so we're high def i guess if you want to do a dad joke we're 4k so <laughs> uh you want to know do you got any romans what what are your what are your uh what are your expect you got any like like sneaky expensive like crazy stuff from the west coast maybe it's not romans maybe it's something else yeah Dude, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, this is a boring answer, but no, I don't have any. I've I've 
I've got some cool baits um, that I've been lucky enough to just have like maybe buddies gave me to, you know, just guys that are, are those lure collectors that, that really appreciate that high end stuff for me. I love, I love all types of fishing, big fish, mm-hmm. fishing, tournament fishing, guiding. Um, and for, you know, for the last 10 or 12 years for me, it's been all about making a living. So I continue, so I can continue doing this. And yeah. uh, so a lot of my time is spent either fishing a tournament, putting in work for a tournament, you know, guiding, or maybe trying to generate content for sponsors. And that doesn't leave a lot of time to, to fun fish and try to catch uh, fish on those big giant glide baits and stuff like that. That would be purely for fun. It's hard to make money doing that. So uh, it's, it's a weird answer, man. But like uh, most of my time on that water is spent like trying to, trying to make a living. And uh, it's just, unfortunately, hasn't left a lot of time. I used to, when I was younger, uh, 18, 19, 20, and had all the time in the world, no responsibility. I used to love chucking big baits like that. On a lot of our lakes are good for that, but mm-hmm. uh, no Roman baits for me. I'll tell you one cool uh, wooden bait that I like to throw a lot is the lunker punker, the uh, the full size original yeah. lunker punker. The it's wood one, bait, dude. Yeah, it's a it's super cool. It's a giant topwater eight inch topwater bait, and uh, they they make it in an injection plastic, and it's nowhere near as good as the the hand carved wooden one. And I've got a few of those and I've caught some big fish on those. And, and that's probably as far as like a, a, a cool bait that I've, I've caught fish on out here. That's probably it. I got one of those. If I was in my, uh, in the summer studio in the garage in the bait room, I could reach up on the shelf. But nice. I, I don't know why I have it because I don't know that I would throw it in Minnesota, but it's a cool bait and it's monstrous. Like it's, it's one of the it's biggest cool. baits I own. Like it's so buoyant in the water. It's amazing to to just watch that thing walk and the sound it makes as it walks. I've seen a lot of trout, the stock trout in our lakes in the wintertime, and I've seen a lot of trout be chased. And it sounds like just the way when it darts back and forth, it sounds like a trout swimming for its life across the surface. It's pretty cool. Thanks for that uh, nice comment too, man. <laughs> and then a lifetime supply of flat nose worms. That's hilarious. Dude, I thought I had a lifetime supply until last summer, and uh, <laughs> everyone I know has uh, has hit me up constantly trying to get them, and uh, I, I've, I've given a few away. Uh, so I, I need to stock. I've got enough to get me through this summer, but I don't have any anything to give away at this point, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you don't catch a check and you have to pawn them on the way home for gas or something, they might run low, right? But yeah, a couple of my travel buddies, you know, they were they were saying that, you know, like you couldn't get them last summer, right? And when they were popping off and everyone needed them, I was like, I got I got you guys in my household covered, the guys that stay with me. Um but that's it. And uh, and they were like, yeah, if we don't catch them, we'll sell them before we leave. <laughs> they were going for how much were they going for? Uh, 20, 30, 40 bucks a bag on eBay. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, that was weird. I mean, like, what are your thoughts, I guess? Like the hit worm versus the flat nose versus the flat nose minnow. Do you think the flat worm is really, really the deal? Or do you think you can pretty much use any of those small accent baits on a drop shot? They all work really well. I can tell you I have equal confidence in the flat-nosed minnow as I do in the flat one. They're they're my favorite two. They're similar in size. They're about four inches. The flat worm's like 3.6, and the, and the flat-nosed minnow is about four. The hit worm's awesome, but it's a little bit bigger. It's four and a half inches. 
Um, they're all good. They're all fish you can cut down. You can cut it in half and almost make it into a flatworm, right? You do all kinds of cool stuff, dude. Like people do all kinds of crazy stuff with the different accent base to get them d- different shapes and, and profiles, but they're all good and they're all better than using other a non maxent bait. Like if that's all you can get, yeah, dude, go throw a hit worm and, and you'll catch tons of fish. I like, I think that when we, when we first came out with the flatworm, we just knew it was like, even like the guys that designed it, they're like, this is like the perfect smallmouth bait. It's the perfect profile, shape, action, and obviously the scent. Um, but th- those other ones are awesome. Like, dude, the, the flatworm, we had the flat nose minnow for a year before the flatworm, and it was already my favorite smallmouth bait. So that's easily my second for sure. <laughs> the nice compact there, Steve. And how yeah. you doing? Steve's, Steve's, Steve always keeps it classy. Have you ever run into Steve on the road? Steve oh yeah, for sure. I know. Him. And, uh, yeah, that's, let's see. Mr. Oh, Positivity. Man, that's wow. That's hilarious. Yeah. Unfortunately, somehow I'm stuck in a IG chat with him. So it uh, makes me want to have live, live uh, comments on our show, dude. <laughs> well, if you need I'm, any help set it up, let me know. I'll, I'll help you. We have uh, fragile egos. I don't know if we could handle it. I, I mean, I think Nick interacting with the comments could be just absolute gold to listen to. So, probably so. Yeah, I don't know if he could take it either, though. But it would be funny. Rob and I would laugh. Rob would probably just leave. He'd just be like, "I, I, I got time for this." <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, talk a little bit about who you. I said, I think you. Uh, I'll let you talk about it. Who do you yeah. travel with? So over the years, I've had a few different roommates. Um, first started traveling with Clifford Perch. Um, Stayed with Justin Lucas for quite a while. Um, I now travel with James Elam, Roy Hawk, and Gerald Spore. So it's quite, uh, quite a, I'm just getting too into the comments here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Heck yeah, we do. Um, but we got a weird eclectic group now. Like Roy and I are from Arizona, James is from Oklahoma, and Gerald's from Louisiana. So mm-hmm. uh, Gerald travels with his girlfriend, and she's awesome. She, uh, you know, she's awesome just. She's, she, they're both Gerald and his girlfriend are amazing chefs and uh, they love to cook. You know, when you're from Louisiana, Cajuns are all about Cajun cooking and Cajun food. And uh, we get so spoiled. I actually, I used to lose weight going to tournaments because I would just, when it was like James and I on our own or Cliff and I on our own, Justin and I on our own, we would literally just like start the week off. We'd get a couple like rotisserie chickens and then instant rices and just eat that every night get off the water and just eat that and slow, lose like a pound a day all week. By the end of this year, you were like a string bean. And uh, yeah, now I go to tournaments and actually gain weight. So it's uh, it's probably better for me this way. Yeah. There's some great stories. If you go back through the archives about James's vegetable <laughs> concoctions yeah. and blender shakes. <laughs> so, yeah. James, like we're all about, green juice like and this sounds like a typical west coast guy saying this i'm not from the coast i guess i'm from arizona western guy but uh james and i believe really believe in green juice as far especially when you're fishing all week and you're so mentally strained and you're not maybe eating the healthiest uh, at least having a glass of green juice every day keeps that stuff in your system uh but i would like i would buy uh the pre-made green juices, like the sujas and stuff like that. You green can machines or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's not, it's not quite as good as literally blending it all up, but like it's easy and it's way better than nothing. But James would bring a Nutri Ninja 
and uh, he would just buy every vegetable and and fruit and just throw it in there and blend it all up. And he would have just this this nasty big cup of this stuff. And every day he would drink some of it. And by the end of the week, dude, it was so nasty. It was so nasty by the end of the week. I I uh, wanted nothing to do with it, but um, he still he swore by it. And I think he, he I know he's on the Suja train now. So like we get into town and we race to the local grocery store and and, and try to steal steal the Sujas before uh, the other guy gets gets there. I I think this is a I think Sporer is cooking for you. He's got you off your game. He's slowing you down. He's yeah, used to it. He goes out and busts him at Rayburn. He's filling you full of Cajun food and all this fat food that you're not used to, and he's slowing you down, Josh. That's that's probably what happened. Like I said, I was close, but I just wasn't quite in form this week. So, And James, same way, bro. So uh, maybe there we need know. to keep our eye on here's, Gerald. Here's another scoop of fried food and potatoes, Josh. Eat up. you got to be strong tomorrow. He's just he's slowing you down. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Man. That's hilarious. Feeding us crawfish and stuff like that. I'll tell you, James yep. sucked. Have you had crawfish, Rich? Uh, a couple times, yeah. Okay. So uh, they're real true Cajuns. They eat the meat, but they suck the heads and tails to get all the juices out. And yeah. uh, James thought he would try to be Cajun this past week when we were over there. And he sucked all the heads and tails. And uh, it was so much salt and sodium. It was like drinking a whole glass full of water, salt, and sodium. He uh, felt so bad he went to bed at 7.15. (laughs) He was so sick from eating that he went to bed at 7.15. I felt so bad for him. So that's the thing. When you eat super clean, which is good for you, your body gets used to that. And then when you eat fried chicken or do something weird or go to McDonald's, you're like, I don't feel good. Uh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, so maybe maybe if Josh wants him in the future, we'll reschedule and we'll do a super show. We'll get the whole gang on. Oh, that'd be awesome! I see there, there, Nick. Yeah, heck yeah, man! I'm, I'm sure they'd love it too. That that would be a blast. Or well, vice versa, we'll have you on and and uh, but but we don't have the live comments in that scenario, so we'll do that. But uh, we'd love to all come back on. You tell us when. All right, cool. Um, so I have a question. So I'm from Minnesota. Uh, I don't like maple syrup. Can't stand it. But you work with Anderson's Maple Syrup in middle of nowhere, small town, western Wisconsin. How did that whole thing come about? And where's where like what's the story behind that? Because I just it seems odd, right? Not endemic, small little company. You're in Arizona. Like <laughs> what's what's the what's the relationship there? I get asked that a lot. And it's it's funny, man. Yeah, how does a guy from Arizona end up with a maple syrup sponsor? I mean, ultimately it just came down to uh Knowing, knowing the right guy, a guy that does a lot of work representing them on the sales side. Um, mm-hmm. They they did some sponsorships in NASCAR, and uh, it's a similar demographic to fishing, right? Fishing is a lot cheaper than NASCAR, I would assume. I know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do some stuff like, like all sponsorships are different. And if you have any young anglers that are watching right now, there it is. Thanks for the plug, bro. They're going to love it. Um, I did good stuff. I'll get back to what I was saying, but um, – I'm a, I'm originally from the Northeast, so I grew up eating like good maple syrup, and I know good maple syrup, and this is really good maple syrup. And those little packets that you can take on the boat, if you you know if you want a little boost of energy without caffeine, like a lot of runners and bikers and stuff will actually uh, take those like little gel packs instead of the nasty gel packs. But 
uh, back to my point anyways, um, if, if you're a younger angler and you're looking into getting sponsorships outside of the fishing industry, just try to find some angles where you can help them out other than the obvious, right? Like, so obviously they appreciate the impressions that you generate by being on the live stream and having their logos on the carpet decals on your Jersey, on the side of the boat, when you're going down the road, that's all good advertising. But, um, you know, like I do, I do a lot of extra little things for them where I'll take like some of their best customers fishing, um, mm-hmm. you know, buyers for the big grocery store chains and stuff. Uh, maybe the, the dude that buys the maple syrup and the, uh, in the Kroger chain of stores loves bass fishing. Well, I take that right. guy, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's a, it's a really mutually beneficial uh, relationship. And uh, I love, I just love the stuff, man. I love the stuff. They've got, they've got a bunch of products. I don't think they have a sugar free version, unfortunately, man, but um, they, uh, they've got, they've got a, quite a few different, different uh, versions of the syrup and it's good stuff. And they're a really good family owned, own company man i've been with them for like five years i'm really thankful yeah it's, it's a cool story but I, I don't i can't get on board there's something i always tell my wife she's so sweet that i don't, I don't I mean, need do you like do you like that nasty syrup or you just don't like syrup in general i just don't like like syrup in general so i don't care whether it's on jemima or like the finest maple syrup tapped fresh yeah. from the tree it does nothing for me like I'll tell you this. dude you ever I grow with a lot. I bet you'd like it on ribs, like glazed ribs or something like that. You'd, you'd have to like that. Maybe. But I know, like, I went to Vermont once, stayed in Burlington for work, and I got a pizza with sausage on it. And when that sausage came infused with maple syrup on my pizza, I sent the pizza back because I couldn't. No like, kidding. Yeah. Glazed ribs. I don't know. <laughs> You're rare, though, bro. I've never met someone, other than Nick, who's diabetic there. Like, he... I don't know. I've never met anyone that didn't like maple syrup, dude. That's horrible. Yeah. But anyways, that's a cool story. And it, it, I mean, that's, I mean, even though I don't like it, I thought that was a good like story about like it's yeah. an interesting relationship for sure. Um, so what's a, what's a sneaky Berkeley bait that's like not mainstream that you, that you use a lot? Let me think, dude. Let me look behind me here. Um, here it is right here. This is because we're coming into the spawn. Wait, we gotta wait. Just wait. Hold it up. Can you we're, see? Gonna, we're gonna we're gonna go full screen here. Um, because we're coming into the spawn, you're looking for baits that are when you're bed fishing or sight fishing. You want a bait that you can see as an angler. Um, it's gonna make bass angry. Got a lot of lot of movement and motion in the water. And then something that's going to give you a good hookup percentage, a bait that's not too big. So when a fish comes up and bites it, even if they don't want to take the whole thing, you're still going to get a hook in them. And this is it. It's a bearded grass pig. And it's based, I'm sorry, not a bearded grass pig. It's a bearded single tail grub. They make a bearded grass pig. Uh, and this color right here. Hmm. Sorry. Interesting. So that, that is sneaky. I've, I don't even, never even seen those. No, and you're going to have to – you might have to get it straight from Berkeley or one of the one of the retailers that has a lot of baits. But, dude, this thing in the water makes – moves so much water. It's got so much action, and it's just such a nasty-looking bait. That's exactly what it is. It's a single-tail hula grub. But the, the grub itself has got this the tail so wide, and then just the, the skirt on this thing, it is – fish cannot stand that thing on their bed. So, And then you got power bait. 
on top yeah, of it. Yeah, it's a power bait, dude. I might be the only guy on the planet that uses this, but I, I caught a 10-pounder on it two, two uh, springs ago, and uh, I love throwing that thing. I just Texas rig it with like a half-ounce weight and a four-aught hook. Um, there's a lot of a lot of little sneaky baits that we've got, but that is like the sneakiest because like no one uses it, but uh, it is gnarly on a bed for sure. Yeah. Otherwise, I think if you were like not in heavy cover, right, you could put that on a – exposed football jig with no yeah, like, that's that'd be really fish hula grubs right absolutely yeah that would be a good bed bait too like, if you weren't yeah. around any grass or reeds or brush or docks like i would definitely just flip that on a three-eighths ounce football head right totally. small yeah. mouth just you know a small mouth on beds it's just one cap <laughs> it's over with that thing there you go up in walleye world here uh, in brainerd uh gander and fleet farm have them there you so there go. go sweet man <laughs> perfect nice um cool um so back to like the uh we touched on this earlier like power bait versus an accent what is your go-to general and why which version do you like and where or maybe use both and what when would you use one versus the other so just like every single person i when maxent first came out four years ago five years ago i was skeptical of course like i i believed in the scent but the the action and look was so different that i believed in it instantly for smallmouth but i had to see it work on largemouth over and over again and i'm fully there now dude like i really like if i now if i've got the choice between max scent and, and power bait or any other thing like max scent if it's if it's a similar action and a similar color max scent and then power bait and then anything else way behind that. But uh, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the Maxent general. I love baby bass is like my favorite color. Um, and then just the green, they make a green pumpkin watermelon kind of laminate. That's my second yep. favorite color. I throw the five inch a lot. Uh, I also like the black and blue, especially up north. You know, I, I know you got a lot of northern based fishermen. And uh, there it is right there, man. Black and blue. Um <laughs> That thing, especially when you're around grass, it get there's so much good contrast with that bait in the grass where they can see that thing. Uh, huge fan, man. I love throwing throwing uh, the max scent the most. Probably. So are you? there any colors that you'll go to the power bait because you like the color for the general? Morning dawn, it's kind of a weird one, right? But they make one at morning dawn. Yeah, it's a situational deal. Like I. That's actually for like an eco rig fishing out west, or it also works really good on the herring lakes like Hartwell and uh, the lakes like that. Um, and that super clear water, I do that because they, they, the one thing about Maxent, it's limited in the amount of colors they can really make with it. So if you've got a, a real trick color like Morning Dawn, power bait, but um, if they make it in both, and you'll notice too, like uh, in that black, that black in the Maxent. Um, it won't stay like you'll fish it for like 45 minutes hour. It won't stay as vibrantly black, but it still works really good. dude. Like even when it yeah. starts turning into like a light black, it's still catching. And overall they're dull, right? Like they're a duller finish than the power bait that's cousin it. or brother, right? Like they're. And, and I guess that's good, dude. I mean, like, honestly, I think that's good. I think it looks more natural. There's baby bass right there. It's a killer bait. It really is. That's, that's my favorite color nasty hey it, it every year at icast we didn't have icast this year but every year at icast you're like dressed up you're wearing nice slacks and you're you're meeting 
you know, folks that are high up in different companies and stuff. And the entire time I'm sitting in the Berkeley booth handling, doing videos with Maxent. I come out of there smelling worse than I do after a day of fishing because I'm, I'm <laughs> Maxent all day long, taking it out of the package, showing them to just like you did right there, man. I need a shower after a day of that. Thank you, Bailey. Yeah. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> I definitely, uh, I like the, uh, I definitely started using the, the Maxent General more and more. Uh, and there's been some times like, you know, there's days like it won't matter because they're, they're eating. And I guess those days I'm probably going to throw a jig, <laughs> right? If they're really eating and it doesn't sure. matter, I'm probably going to go right to my favorite yeah. three eighth ounce tungsten jig. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when it, when you need to fish slow and you gotta let it soak in there, I think there's something to that. Like I, I remember one tournament two years ago, I had this culvert that was loaded and I, I swear that like <laughs> the longer I fished in there with that max scent, the more fish, like this was like a road that was like 60 feet deep and there was no way I could skip far enough to reach. Right. No matter even my best skip. Right. Cause it was only like this much opening, <clears throat> but I think the longer I fished in there, like I think that scent and then the fish like feeding, I just kept pulling more fish to the other side. Yeah, like I was catching, like when I got in there, I was catching like six to 13 inches. And the longer I fished, the next thing I know, I was catching like two and a half to three and a half pounders by the time I left. Um, so that's cool. I believe it. I believe it. That's a cool story, though, man. I like that. Yeah. And actually, like if you watch any of like whatever you think of Randy Blockett, like every one of his tips starts with, well, the first thing I do is I rough up my plastic and make it dull. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, and I see. I mean, that's what you see in the comment there. Hundred percent, dude. Hundred percent. I agree. Even on hard baits, that that hard chartreuse line. You know, when you buy you buy a bait and it's got that chartreuse, a crankbait or a jerk bait, scratching that thing down and just dulling down the chartreuse, it it, it makes it yeah. better. I always feel like the more my crankbaits get chewed on, the better they work. Right. Yeah. The more they get scratched up, the more they get dulled up. Um, what's up, JJ? So what uh, on the jig trailer? Yeah, so the meaty chunk is my favorite there, man. Um, it's for everyone that swore by pork. This is this is the new pork, and it's better. I mean, it's better. It doesn't dry out. It's got more actual fish scent geared towards fish than uh, pork ever did. So I, I'm a and a lot of my confidence there came from John Cox, which watching yeah. John Cox just murder people tournament after tournament after tournament. Um, Throwing that meaty chunk, it, it's made me really, really start throwing a lot more. And even, yeah, I mean, dude, I, anytime I can get a max scent bait on the back of a jig, I'm going to do it. Another, uh, another one is the critter hog. I like to throw a critter hog. It's a four inch, like small creature bait. Um, not a, not like a beaver style bait. It's more of like a, it's a creature bait with a bunch of arms and, and legs and, and it's got action, sure. action. That's a great bait for football jigs. I really like it for that, especially when you're crawling it real slow. That was my number one. I threw a football jig a lot in the winter, and that was my number one football jig trailer this winter. Yep. Yeah. Right you you and me both, JJ. I've seen enough of same thing, John Cox, like in enough live coverage of seeing it, right? It's not one thing. I'm not just reading articles. I'm not just watching oh, recap cool. videos, but watching live, like and seeing it that i i definitely they're they're on order i've got some accent chunks and trailers that i'm definitely gonna 
because uh, I've always been a big menace scrub guy, a big speed crowd guy in the back of my jigs, which are great baits and they catch tons of fish. But I'm definitely excited to try some of these other trailers on my jigs this year. Um, you are correct, Mr. Kennedy. That is the lake I was referring to. Um, Gabe, he gives uh, props. He loves uh, he loves Nick's horror stories in the in the RV. Ah, thanks, man. <laughs> The guys are going to love it. They're going to love all these comments. I'll share. Thank you. Maybe I'll get two more replays. Maybe I can get Nick and Rob to watch this afterwards. So There you go. Uh, nice. Awesome. Cool. Um, so I guess one important question that I think most people want to know is, like, how did uh, fantasy football end up with, between you and Justin Lucas last year? Thanks. Well, so – it's kind of a sad story, man, because uh, we started this league and, uh, you know, a fisherman's league with the guys on tour. And uh, it's been great, dude. Like, we love it. We love the smack talk. Just like, you know, I'm sure a ton of your listeners are in fantasy football eating for their buds. And mm-hmm. like, there's nothing better than uh, every week having something new to talk smack about and have it not be fishing. So that's been great. Um, but Justin – and if you ever have him on, dude, you've got to give him a hard time. But um, the first year, he took it so, – he's so competitive. And that's what I love about him, and that's why he's so good. He's so competitive that um, he takes things too far sometimes. And he took it <laughs> too far. Like, he, he went from, like, I don't know if I want to play to, like, a week into the season, dude. He's, like, doing research five hours a day. Um, you know, trying to make trades constantly. I was getting three or four trade offers a day from him. Um, <laughs> I told everyone else. And he was just so over the top and he had a great team. He had a real good team and he's talking smack and everyone's like, all everyone wanted to do was just beat Justin because he was just talking so much smack and his team was so good. Um, and then ultimately, dude, he gets beat in the semifinals and, uh, he deleted the app off his phone. <laughs> the minute that it was over, he deleted the app off his phone. He's like, I'm never playing again. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, so then uh, we start working on him again. We're like, dude, let's play. Come on. We, we all want you to play again. Like we wanted him in the league because it was fun um, to talk smack with him, just like everyone else. And he's our buddy. So uh, it's like September or it might've been late August when we were up at Erie and uh, we were like going down to the end of the tournament, dude. And I was actually leading the tournament and he was in second or third, I think second on the final day. And uh, I can't remember how it came up, but I'm like, dude, if you end up coming back and beating me, you better play fantasy football this year. And sure enough, man, I ended up falling to third and he wins the tournament. And that sucker never even uh, never even played fantasy football this year. So um, I think, you know, maybe part of it was that uh, he didn't want to take five hours from a day from his wife and kid, which I can actually respect that. But uh, we all we all would love to have him back into the league. We played Cody Myers in the league, uh, Elam, Cliff Crochet, Jordan Lee, Matt Lee, um, a handful of others. We uh, it, It's a fun league, but uh, Cliff Crochet actually ended up What's hilarious is Cliff ended up having he he's from uh, Louisiana, right? And like you know, folks from down that way are super hardcore LSU fans and Saints fans. <clears throat> there it is. That's uh, that might be the tournament right there. Um, but um, 
they're hardcore LSU fans and Saints fans, and Crochet drafted only ex-LSU players and Saints players. He had the worst team. We're like, dude, it's, he picked Joe Burrow as his number one pick. Do you play, Rich? Do you play fantasy football? I used to. I had to give it up because of all my fishing. Like, I didn't give it up because I was too competitive. I just gave it up to, like, have more time to do things like this and fish. I hear you. <clears throat> but, yeah, yeah. And, and I can appreciate that. But Joe, Joe Burrow was his first pick. You, you can't pick a quarterback first. <laughs> Patrick and, and, or a rookie quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, it was it was insane. We laughed, dude. We laughed at him and laughed at him and laughed at him. He ends up winning the league. Could, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. But that might so, be the tournament. So, what are, what are your thoughts on this article on uh, Wired to Fish right here? When did it just came out? Right now, is the video yeah. out? One minute ago. <laughs> is the video out, bro? What's that? Is the video out? Is there a video that's coming too? Yeah, you'll, you'll see. I, I don't want yeah. to ruin it for everybody. Yeah. That's funny. You're on the you're on the ball pretty quick, but uh, yeah, it, just uh, I can't say anything. But I got yeah, we got pranked really badly uh, earlier this week, and this is part of it, dude. You guys, if you are <laughs> following, uh, read that. I'm sure I can't wait to read that article, but. Be following Berkeley and Major League Fishing. We got uh, you'll, you're going to see some pissed off uh, fishermen here in the next 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, just watch your calendar. I guess that's, that's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bailey says sneaky pit boss color. Right on. Let Go me, ahead. You look like let me see red. if I can guess your sneaky pit boss color Please. if I'm following it. Uh, I believe green pumpkin, green flake. You're the man. Yeah. Do you throw that color too, dude? No, but I know you talk about it all the time. I love it. I might not even have any in the wall because I just I went through like seven bags last week and I, I reloaded. It's such a good color, man. It's green pumpkin. Everybody else in the top ten was catching them on green pumpkin blue flake, though. So that's where you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's probably something like that. God knows. But uh it just it's one of those baits that looks so different in the water than it does out of the water. Like you look at it out of the water and it's like green pumpkin with a green flake as soon as that thing is in the water and the sunlight swimming around it's just like dang that it lights up and looks so fishy it, it catches them man if you guys haven't tried green pumpkin green um like i hardly ever flip straight green pumpkin anymore in a pit boss it's a great color but i just i do that and it's also something a little bit different and uh it was different enough to get me out of the cut this week but uh, if it same thing. Looking back over time, it's put me in the cut more times than out of the cut, and uh, I just think it's cool that it's a different a different look for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if green, but in general, I have a lot more confidence, whether it's a pit boss or anything else, to throw a green pumpkin with a blue fleck or a purple fleck or a green fleck. Like I like a little something in my green pumpkin, whether I, the fish care or not. In my head, I like something a little different than straight green pumpkin. Oh, my favorite color forever has always been like green pumpkin candy or watermelon candy. And yeah. that's just the green pumpkin green with purple flake as well. Um, and they don't make that in a pit boss. I wish they did, but it's a, they make another really good one, dude. I've got, I've got some of these sprayed grass. Yep. You ever throw sprayed grass? Uh, in other stuff. <laughs> it's got a similar look, bro. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah, this is the first trade grass has ever been, but um, you can see it's it's got some like a smoke purple back, 
in a yep. green pumpkin in green belly. And uh, that thing looks so much like a bluegill in the water. Um, and then if you really want to get into it, you can dye the tips of the tail chartreuse. And phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> it's a clear water color. You're going to use that in clear water. But uh, out west, that's my favorite color out, out, out here where I live is, is that one. For sure. Well, the good thing is, Dustin, you always got the replay on YouTube and Facebook. And then you got the podcast version. So you can always listen to it and catch up. So. It's all right. We forgive you, Dustin. Um, yeah. Unless you're in Florida, then you're just going to throw June bugger black and blue. <laughs> yeah. You better bring a little watermelon red just in case things are. But yeah, dude, I'm with you. That's a, that's hilarious. Very true. <laughs> nice. Um, man, I don't know. So we, we went, we were 90 minutes in. I'm going to just say like, uh, we'll, we'll, what's uh open forum like let's let's run through like anybody's got any questions that we didn't get to one thing i did see earlier that i wanted to touch on somebody asked what your favorite football jig is but while you're answering that anybody else that's got like last round of questions let's fire through a bunch and then we'll kind of wrap things up cool yeah thanks uh a lot of football jigs uh, out there and i'm not really tied to anyone dude um uh, pepper makes a really good one pepper custom baits they mm-hmm. make a nice football jig um uh, got a good hook in it just a good solid all around some silicone skirts and nothing crazy or fancy but i'm you know dude i'll just throw i I like one thing i'll say on a football jig um i like i go a little heavier than a lot of guys like i love throwing a three-quarter ounce football head five ace is a good size but um when a lot of guys are throwing half i throw a a three-quarter and uh, i just feel like sometimes it even gets you if you can fish it without getting hung up, I feel like it sometimes gets me more bites because uh, it makes more of a ruckus on the bottom. Just like a crawfish, when a crawfish is yep. scurrying across the bottom. If you're dragging a, a half-ounce football jig and a three-quarter-ounce football head uh, jig side-by-side, side, that three-quarter is going to puff up more dirt, make more commotion in the rocks, and it gets their attention. So I, I go real heavy on, on my jigs, on my football jigs for sure. So what I'm hearing you say is you like to throw the heaviest football jig that you can throw that's not going to get hung up too much. Yes, exactly. Yep. I'm dying of that comment, dude. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. So we got a couple a couple Fritz side colors or Fritz side questions. What's your favorite Fritz side so far? Color. You not know, size, but color. They're they're basically their version of spring craw. Their red is really good. Um, they make a really cool – let's see if I've got any above me. They're all my boat, aren't they? Yeah, I don't have them up there. Their spring cross is probably my favorite, but they make a, a shad color called Kentucky Blue. I got this. Hold on. You don't got to get out. We can bring it right here. Oh, yeah. I got it right here, bro. Here it is. There it is. There it is. Did this one? That's the one. It is such a good bait. And, like, everyone – a lot of guys – Myself included, started throwing flat sides, you know, as a cold water bait early spring. This yep. color right here is an awesome alternative to, like, when everyone's throwing just a standard square bill in the fall. Yep. Late summer, early fall, fishing gets a little tough um, in the central part of the country down south. Uh, a flat side is a, is a different action that will catch that will catch fish, man. Um, and this is the color I like to throw in that scenario. So, and it does um, that spring crawl you talked about yeah yeah that's killer in like that dirty water um 
in early spring when you're getting rain runoff and the water's in the high 40s, low low to mid 50s, that's a, a murderer right there. My sure. very first largemouth of this 21-21 season came on this in Smith Mountain Lake this year. Nice. Right on. That's cool. It's a good bait, isn't it? And then I caught a giant striper on this one. <laughs> I, see, that's when fishing just doesn't make sense to you. Like, what was that striper thinking, dude? I don't know. Um, but another along the Fritz side, uh, thoughts on the seven versus the five, and do you think the seven is effective or is? Yeah, I've heard people talk about this. Like, some people really think that five is a little more special than some of the other. Like, what are your thoughts, or what have you seen? I agree, no, I, I agree with that. Like, it's the best bait. It's it's one of the best crankbaits in the world right now, the five. And it's probably the best in the lineup. But there's a lot of times when that five just doesn't get down quite deep mm-hmm. enough. And that seven is still a killer bait, man. It still casts good. It's way more subtle than a lot of other baits that are gonna run down like eight or nine feet deep. It just it's more subtle. Uh so there there have been several times where I've seen like uh rip fish and rip wrap and the fish are just just that one step deeper, those fish are sitting in six or seven feet instead of three or four feet. That seven works really good still. So, and I'll be the first to admit I haven't thrown the nine a ton, um, but the seven, I, I've caught I've caught a lot of fish on it. But the five is just if you're going to buy one, buy a five for sure. Sure. Um, buh, 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 buh. What's your favorite smallmouth lake out west? So uh, for me, it's Havasu. Um, I know if I fish Lake Mojave more, it would be Mojave. I just have limited experience there. That's the lake uh, above Havasu on the chain. I just haven't sure. really had any tournaments there. But uh, that Colorado River is, is pretty special, man. Uh, Havasu's got a ton of uh, – it's, it's no, you know, great lakes, but it's, it's good. I mean, there are a ton of four- and five-pound smallies in Havasu for sure. What's your go-to lure retriever setup? Do you carry a lure retriever? Do you have a plug knocker? I've got some. Um, this is a worthless answer because it's a homemade bait that my buddy makes, and like or a made retriever. But it's just a plug knocker. You know, uh, forever I carried one of those deals that was attached to a rope on a half rod and reel, and you drop it down, and, and it worked really good. But it, it took a while, and it took like eight hands to use properly. Um, Elam makes these things. They're little, they're just plug knockers. They're lead and uh, they weigh like in a, uh, two and a half ounces and you just clip them onto your line, not on a swivel. They're just, they're just lead. You fold a flap over part of the lead and send them down. And what's cool about them is they're so quick and easy that I'm not scared to send it down to save a Ned rig. You know, like you, you send it down to save a jig or Ned rig, um, anything. Whereas, like, you would never, dude, you get your Ned Rig snag, you're never going to bust out that stupid thing that's got the, you know, the hooks on it and the chains. Sure. And, the and hound. It, yeah, <laughs> no, no way. But th- this thing, you'll just, you'll send, you'll send it down and it's not effective 100% of the time. It saves your bait four out of five times. But right. it's so cheap. Like, I, I'm a big fan of just a plug knocker. So you get the same effect with one of those big egg sinkers with a swivel or something like that. Right. But if you're going to make these, yeah, exactly. If you're going to make these deals that James makes, the key is soft lead. Like the, a lot of the lead nowadays that you get is so hard, you can't manipulate it with your fingers because it's so tough. Um, so he's got, you know, he he spends time searching out soft lead and makes these things. And hmm. uh, he reloads me like once a year, and I, I 
protect Trade them. Them. You throw them a couple flatworms, you get a couple of lure retrievers. Exactly, dude. 100%. Nice. Uh, have you ever tried mixing non maxent in with them and do they react? <clears throat> Good question. I haven't. Um, great question. I, has I anybody have... else in the chat tried this? What is your results? If... Yeah, seriously. I know that, you know, if you're trying to get some gulp Santon baits that aren't Berkeley, you know, like obviously buying Maxent's the best, but you can't get them. They make a gulp marinade. It's like they come in a little, yeah, they make a spray and then they make a little bitty like capsule of marinade that you can buy. And it's so potent. Five drops of that in a bag of baits and, and those baits are stinking, but um, it's not max scent. It's still not max scent. Yeah. I remember, was it Kodo way back in the day when he almost broke a hundred pounds of smallies on the Great Lakes? He was dousing jackal crosstails with gulp spray. Cool. I think that, that says a lot right there, huh? Uh, punch fishing thinks you're uh, you got a serious uh microphone what, what's what's your microphone he's he's impressed so uh yeah this is you'd laugh at i've spent this is, is I a yeti? A, I, i've tried to be a, it's a yeti i try to be a serious podcaster because we have a podcast we've done 70 episodes but i've wasted so much money on audio equipment like i mean i, I don't have a, a studio obviously i'm sitting here in my garage but Dude, I bet I've spent two grand on audio equipment that I don't know how to use. And like, this is what I got a $70 microphone that I plug directly into my laptop. We have a, a whole audio interface, uh, five or six mics and, and with boom mounts and everything. And um, I don't know how to use any of it, dude. I'll sell it, I'll sell it all for a hundred bucks if anyone wants it. <laughs> Question for you, Punch. If I like sneak my mic into the screen does it make me look more official if i show it versus just having it off to the side it's a good question no i think you should have it in the deal dude like that makes that more official to have it like showing like i need to like put it up here like i would love to hear everybody's thoughts would it would you be more impressed if i flexed my mic versus just the good sound uh I, I have never heard this before. There's there's no UV part of Maxent, is there, that you're aware of? Well, dude, if it is, they've kept it secret from us. The scientists have not told you that when you visited the lab. Hey, they're not fishermen are, dude. They, who knows what's in that stuff? But if they ever tell one of us, everyone's going to know. Fishermen can't keep a secret for, for their life, man. The doctor says I don't need to flex. So um what more i want to hear more comments flex or no flex on the mic um have you been part of any designing of baits uh yeah you know the spy bait actually the spy bait um the berkeley spy it's uh it's not the first spy bait it's not the first of its kind but it's got a lot of unique characteristics to it especially the slow sink so that was pretty cool man i three years ago we started it it took us a year to to get right especially the slow sink version and um it's been out there for a couple of years now and it's selling good it's a it's a big time fish catcher for sure so i'm pretty proud of that for sure and um you know it's not like i sat there and, and chiseled it out myself i worked with the real experts but um i gave a lot of input and did a lot of testing nice that's cool that's gonna be feel cool to have like something on the market that like yeah Totally, yeah, it's 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 awesome. Uh, Anglers Happy Hour is what it's called. You yeah, thanks for that. that again, big time. Um, it's a little bit of fishing and a whole lot of laughs and uh, other stuff. But just smack talk with our buddies in a fishing setting for sure. 
And then like if you need like Lake Pleasant and Roosevelt reports, like that's the place to go. For sure. Or what what's the lake down in Mexico if you want reports? Oh from? yeah. If you wanna if you want to hear a real story, go a couple episodes back when my, my co-host Nick took a Greyhound bus with his rods and reels to, to Lake Oviatchik in Obregon, Mexico. Um it was quite the uh, adventure. It was quite yeah. the he's in an apartment in uh Obregon, Mexico, and went fishing down there for a couple days. Uh, I would say that if you're going to just pick one episode to sample (laughs) from the recent, go with that one. And uh, I don't know if you'll learn anything about fishing, but that'll give you a good flavor of what the podcast is about. You had an adventure, Uh, that's for sure. uh, Anything new coming down the pipeline? I'm guessing he's talking Berkeley, but in general, anything you can, we should be watching for? Yeah. iCast, classic, any of that stuff, products? Yeah, I can't say it, dude, but yeah, I mean, there's awesome stuff coming down the pipeline for sure. Nothing like, you can talk about. You know, uh, dude, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't no, mention anything. I've been testing some some rods and reels from Abu and a mm-hmm. uh, few baits, hard baits from Berkeley that are awesome that um, <laughs> are much better versions of what we already have on some, some of the stuff. And uh, I think everyone will be pretty impressed with it, but yeah, the way that the timeline for that is usually like test them out up, up until this point, And then they get announced at ICAST and um they are available around September. So we'll at least get to know what they are here in a couple sure. months. Everyone will. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to that. It's a good story. Like it's, there's a lot to learn. Um, Dustin says, Fritz says there's more cranks coming. So maybe there's a tip. Yeah. Nick yeah, can either confirm or deny these rumors, but uh, um, yeah, there's good hunting tips. There's construction tips. Um, RV tips. He'll fish again, dude. He's a legit fisherman, like a good fisherman, but that poor guy has been chained up in his house trying to remodel an entire house by himself. But eventually he'll get back on the water and have something fishing to talk about too. My neighbor, Bill, officially the first comment or anybody I've seen actually from Periscope. So that's why I'm putting this up. He calls you Justin. Which, Fair enough. It's a J. It's happened, it's dude. Josh, it's probably a, you probably should pick uh, Justin because he always catches them. So that's probably not a bad pick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. He's been, he's been on fire. But um, so the next one's at Lake, uh, well, heavy hitters. So the next regular season is Lake Travis here in a couple, in three weeks. Heavy hitters is the next one, kind of an extra event that we have. And, there's not really any locals. The cool thing about North Carolina is we don't have a single angler that lives. No problem, dude. That's honestly, it's all good. <laughs> a guy came up to me and called me Adrian Avina last week because we had. Ooh, was, that's it, much, much, much I'll, worse than being compared to Justin. <laughs> they're both totally cool. You know, Adrian's my buddy. Justin's one of my best buds. So it, it definitely, it's, it's both mine. But uh, anyways, um, I don't know, dude. Next week's a crapshoot. Next week in North Carolina is a total crapshoot because we have no one from North Carolina. But um, if I'm the first guy, if I'm the first BPT guy on the show, maybe it'll be lucky. Maybe I'll be the guy to. Well, that's a good point because I've had Gussie on this year and I've had Brian New on this year. So that's not bad, dude. (laughs) 
I like so it. you could just you can send the rebate check if if you win heavy hitters and catch big fish on the final day. You can just I'll you some green pumpkin, green pit bosses, bro, or some flatworms, maybe. There you go. Yeah, it's fine. Nice. <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, so, do you, any of these new products have you been testing them? Tournaments, practices? Yeah, for sure. About what they are, bro. What I mean, are you like? They, I think Berkeley is pretty good about getting the stuff in your guys' hand, getting your guys' feedback, right? I think that's been a huge, like, if, if six, seven years ago, Berkeley was still Berkeley and it was huge, but it wasn't making the impact it does now, in my opinion, in the tournament circles. Um, right. we, it, it had some baits, you know, the Chigger Craw, the Pit Boss. They were some really good baits, but like across the board now it's making a much bigger splash. And I think a big part of it is they are getting it in all the guys' hands to, mm-hmm. to, to use and, and give input and feedback on. So yeah, we've been using it a ton, man. I got, uh, I have been practicing with some of that stuff and um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of cool too, because um, if you, if you do end up getting lucky and, and end up catching them and do well in a tournament, you might be able to break that say, look, I, this is a prototype bait. This right. is what, right here look for it in two months um i don't think they'd have a problem with that in that scenario uh, but i do feel like i would get chewed out if i if i brought it up on a on a podcast for, for sure. sure no uh that's one thing berkeley cycles through their stuff like they they churn stuff like if it's not selling to the what their expectations they they cycle they're not afraid to put things to bed and there's sure. a lot of people that like spend a lot of time searching for things that they really liked that didn't sell I mean, they might have been really good baits, but they didn't necessarily perform on the shelf, right? Good point, dude. That's why you all need to buy spy baits. You all need to buy spy baits because that's the only one I got. So those things need to stick around for a long time. Uh, but I totally get what you're saying. It's like, like what's funny is you go down the aisle in like fast pro shops, right? Every there's thousands of baits in colors. Every single one of those is some dude's favorite bait that they cannot live without. But like. The next hundred guys over would never even throw it, but like, uh, it's 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 all about what sells, and and there's only X amount of peg space in those big retail stores, and even in small tackle stores, it's even tighter, man. Like, it's if you want to, if Berkeley wants to come out with a new bait, it's very hard for they're going to have to take something else out because they have ten feet of shelf space in this store, right? And, uh, you know, that's their their shelf space, so it's. Right. It's it's gonna come off it's gonna cannibalize what they have. It's not gonna take over missile baits or reaction innovations or their pegs. They gotta take it out of their own. I mean if the next brand over has two feet, I mean they're not gonna be able to cut into their two feet of space unless it's yeah, for sure. I mean thrift I think thrift is from North Carolina. I, you might have heard of him. Oh is he from yeah, uh, I thought he was from South Carolina. Yeah, that dude, that sucks. But uh But nobody fishes those lakes. They they all fish the big tournament. They fish the lakes at the BFLs and the Toyotas and all those places. Like yeah. big tournaments don't go to these, so the people from there also don't fish them, right? So I, I hope he's not in heavy hitters. I haven't seen and he probably is. He probably is, but you got me nervous. I mean, here. what are the chances that he caught fish to make heavy hitters right i mean uh, yes uh i think he's in it yeah this is this is a good question for the gingers out there <laughs> uh being a ginger how many uh gallons and what kind of sunscreen do you use i use neutrogena sunscreen i i'm all about the buff and and just wearing long sleeve shirts wearing gloves stuff like that but 
I like that Neutrogena sunscreen and pretty much all I'm ever doing is putting it on my nose because everything else yeah. is converted. That's even me, like not being super light. Like I've learned as I've gotten older, a little wiser, like I'm sun, long sleeve sun hoodies. Like that's just standard issue for me. And then, so it's a little bit on my like upper cheeks and nose and maybe the palm of my hand, the back of my hands early in the year until they get a little built up. And then maybe the back of my calves, right? Like, and (laughs) like a nice tan. (laughs) I just wear pants, but you're totally right, dude. Like even, I've gotten more serious about it, but my hands, I'm 32 and the back of my hands, if I just like went like this up close to you and, and you were looking at my hands and that was it, you'd be like, the dude's 55. It's amazing <laughs> how bad that sun, that sun is. So I'm gloves from here on out. So keep catching them because you're no hand model anymore. <clears throat> yeah, that's toast, man, for sure. They're not going to have you holding flatworms in the magazine with your hands. and They know uh, I was a fisherman. All right, yeah. that's for sure. What's up, Real Jedi? Um, we talked about this earlier. It kind of depends on how long he's going to be home. Yeah, I don't, the power slug is, is sneaky. Like, I don't know if people use him around, but like up north in Minnesota. Interesting. I've never like, thrown it. A lot of people, I don't know that a lot of people throw him weightless a lot, but what we like to do up here on Tonka, I'm going to give away some juice that people probably don't oh. want to talk about. They like to throw him on jigworms. So instead of like a Senko or a ribbon tail worm, they throw a big power slug on us just to expose, like instead of a shaky head, it's an exposed jig worm and they like rip it through the, the coontail and the milfoil. That's cool. That's cool. I like it. Just, you right. know, that works on grass lakes down South. I definitely caught fish on Gunnersville on a jig worm. Interesting. Right on. Something different. Sycamore says you got a spy bait handy. I do. Yep. Hold on one second. Yeah, that's what we were talking about, JP. There's a lot of good baits, like the Devil Spear and a lots of other baits that <laughs> Berkeley has cycled through because they just didn't move. There was a lot of good baits that got put to bed. That's it. That's it. But right now there. you got the, now you got the deal. Let me get uh, here. This is my pride and joy. Let, let's let's, uh, let's uh, blow it up. All right, Spy Seventy. That's that black color. Um, to my knowledge, it's the only black one out here. And um, black is such a good color on on smallmouth, especially just because in my experience, man, a lot of times half the battle is getting the smallmouth to see your bait as much. It's it's as important as anything else. Like you put it in the right in front of the right smallmouth and they're going to eat whatever they see. But it's getting them to see it and they can see this black bait from a long ways away. Mm-hmm. Um it's just like throwing a black uh, hair jig. Like they just see it from so far away and they'll come up and get it. Same idea with, with this spy bait. So we make it in a regular, like a this one falls about a foot a second and we make it in a slow sink that falls a lot slower to fish in like less. I throw the slow sink in less than like seven feet. Anything deeper than seven, the regular, the spy 70 actually has a little bit better action as far as a, a harder rock. But um, the slow sink still works really well, and it won't get hung up fishing on the shallow reefs and over grass and stuff. But it, when I first tested it, when you take the weight out, it doesn't have that that super hardcore rocking action. It's more of a mm-hmm. subtle list like this. And uh, I wanted to make sure it still caught fish, right? And I tested the heck out of it, and it caught him, dude. It caught him really good. 
in a lot of places. So uh, they both work, but I throw the regular spy until I get in like less than seven or eight feet and then go to the slow sink. Shallow. Cool. And for those we covered, like Josh's setup earlier. So you just have to rewind and go back and listen. If you want to hear that Uh, same with this, Uh, Kevin, we talked about this earlier. Josh is all in on the, the power bait. He thinks it's the same with more sense, so it's all a bonus. Yeah, good, yeah, good question, but that's exactly what we said. Yep. This, I mean, obviously, this is water under the bridge, but I guess at the time, was that a tough decision, an easy decision? Like, what, what, what like, what was that yeah. like? It was tough, dude, because um, at the time, that like that two week time frame where we were ending that season, my wife was having. We were having a kid. We are having – my wife was pregnant with our son, and he was due on, like, literally the last day of the AOI tournament when I was fighting for AOI. I was in second place for AOI. And so, like, that's a that's a life-changing deal. A career – I should say a career-changing scenario with the tournament. My wife, we're having a baby, life-changing deal. And then this whole deal's – starting with MLF and, and dudes, everyone leaving bass, you know? So like it was a, one of the most stressful months of my life. And, uh, it probably, the other two things going on probably overshadowed the decision I had to make, but honestly, man, it was, it was a hard decision. Um, and did I enjoy fishing over there a ton? I loved it, but, um, I also love what I'm doing now. I mean, it's right here. We are, you know, going into the third year and, um, I ha- nothing's really missed a beat, man. I've had a blast over here. I love this format. I love fishing five fish tournaments, but I love this format just as much. And uh, all my sponsors are really happy. Like the exposure's never been better. Uh, so it it's it's a, it's been, it would have been a win win probably. Um, and I think as long as as long as you keep catching fish at a decent rate, you're going to be good no matter what league you're fishing. But you just have to catch fish. And if you stop catching fish, then you're going to have a tough time being a bass fisherman for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the the sun and the heat, like, like cover up, right? Like, Yeah, let's see. Let's see, the jeans in the summer is psychotic, bro. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know about – yeah. <laughs> but maybe he's so used to the warm weather, jeans just feel normal when he lives in other places. Yeah, maybe he's just really tough, dude. I can't. I don't do the jeans, but I just wear light pants and cover up that way. That way I'm not burning my uh, – my calves for sure. Yeah. Hook on the uh, spy baits. Yeah. So it's a number eight fusion 19 treble hook. It's a small hook. We talked about it earlier. Just use a very light action rod and set your drag light and you won't lose fish. It's, it's, it's scary, man. You look at those little treble hooks and you're like, God, I'm going to lose a lot of fish on that bait, but you really don't. You really don't. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> That dude, hey, there you go, bro. Um, we tried our spawning to, to to you know be off season when the babies were born. It worked on my daughter, but uh, our son was just a little too close to the deal. And <laughs> I was all year long. We knew that she was due at that time, and it was just like ah, uh, you know, no matter what, I'll be home. I'll be home. I'll be home. And then, I, dude, I mean, I had never been even. I think my best year points wise before that was like twenty ninth out of the hundred. Right. And I never thought I'd be in contention for angler of the year. And dude, of course I end up being 10 points out of the angler of the year in second place in points going into the last tournament. So I had to go and it was a stressful week. I literally had to 
she had a false alarm. And one, one night during pre-fish, I literally drove to the airport three hours to, uh, to an airport and booked a flight, was sitting there in the parking garage at the airport. And uh, she's like, ah, false alarms. Just, just kidding. Go back and fish. <laughs> tournament, got my butt whooped, still finished second in points and uh, made it home for the baby. You, you had to be fishing 100% at that tournament, like just clear-minded, nothing, nothing else on your mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not a career, uh, uh, you know, a, a career-changing decision to fish a different league and my wife having a kid. Yeah, it was like, dude, I was like, can this month just be over, please? God. Uh, one of the questions I got on IG was like, what's your, what's your go-to uh, gear ratio on baitcasters? Um, I use a bunch. My favorite for uh, overall, I'd say I use more eight to one than anything just for any type of any bait that I'm working with a rod, not the real. So like a jig, Carolina rig, flip in yep. anything like that. Eight to one. If I'm reeling a bait, like a chatter bait or spinner bait, I like 6.6 to one. And then I do deep cranking. Uh, I use a lot of winches, which are 5.8 to 1. Nice. Or maybe 5.4 to 1. I, I can't remember 5.4 to 1 maybe. But what's your favorite non – we talked a lot about Berkeley. What's your non favorite non-pure fishing lure? Um, that's a good question. I would say, you know, we talked about jigs earlier. Um, those jigs are at the top of the list. I've got some buddies that make like some cool homemade stuff. You know, I've got a buddy that makes some really cool hair jigs that I like on mm-hmm. small mouth. Um, and then, yeah, just for a cool, unique bait, I talked about that lunker punker earlier in the show, man, that thing is, uh, I've got some awesome memories throwing, throwing that thing as well. Good question. Yeah. Hey Ron, what's up, dude? You were the man. Yeah, Bob, retype it quick. I missed it. So I guess just retype the question. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you'd have any insight to this or not, like as far as like Berkeley making their own reels versus using contract manufacturers or whether you get to that level of detail. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly have no idea, man. Like, uh, yeah, you're probably more in the know than me on that one, but I uh, I just don't – I have no idea on that one. Yeah. So yeah, Bob, I'm not sure where you sent that question. So um, just type it in the chat if I missed it. Um, the guy that wears jeans fishes up in Brainerd, so maybe Northern Minnesota. He just come from Arizona. He just feels comfortable wearing jeans. Yeah, I guess so. Good for him, man. Nice. So what uh, what on the schedule uh, after heavy hitters are you most looking forward to? I'm stoked for Travis. Like obviously, I can't wait to get up north. That's the best fishing in the country. But Travis is, uh, it's so similar to our Western lakes. It's super clear. It's got, Mm -hmm. it's got this crazy ratio of, it's got like 95% small fish, like under two pounds. And then the other 5% of the fish in the lake are like over seven. So uh, (laughs) yeah, I remember last time we went there in 2018, first day of practice, I had like two eights and a six and, uh, and then like 30 rats, no two and three and four pounders. It was like, whoa, what's going on with this lake? But it's just a cool lake, and uh, your chance for big fish is still there. You're going to see guys have a tough time, and I might have a tough time, but um, you can get some big bites that can change your day really quick. And uh, I, I just think it's a cool lake, man. It's, and what, it's a- what time of year are you guys fishing that? 
we're going in late April, so it's going to be kind of like post-spawn, shad-spawn type fishing. Uh, some fish may be starting to get a little bit offshore. So maybe some fish, like the last wave of spawners, still playing around up shallow. So you'll have some options. We got, we got an Ott fan here. <laughs> I, I, that guy's unbelievable. I love him. And, and, you know, the cool thing about Ott is uh, – Dude, no one's no one's got anything bad to say. He's never done anything wrong to anybody, dude. It's just he's such a good fisherman, just a natural, instinctive, incredible fisherman. Such a good guy. He wins so many tournaments, and you think everyone would get tired, and we're all tired of him kicking our butt. But at the same time, it's like good for him. <laughs> it's not like yeah. oh, again, great. It's like oh yeah. At least it was hot. He's a good guy. Good for him. I do remember seeing this question. I did want to sneak it in. Uh, it was a good question. So uh, a lot of people, I mean, you get like when you go north, like when you fished Bassmaster Elite, you were on a lot of people's rosters when you'd go north, right, for catching smallies. And I guess uh, he says, what do you think you need to do to be considered like just. Oh, man. Sure. Well, that's dude. Hey, that's nice. That's a super nice uh, uh, compliment, man. But yeah, not I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere even close. And I think the, the biggest reason for it is like, just my lack of uh, the time I've put in up there, right? Like it, um, I, I've I've been lucky to have a good track record in the smallmouth tournaments that I fished in the last eight or nine years. But literally going up there once or twice a year and having a having a good tournament once or twice a year up there is just it, it's it's not even comparable to the guys that have put in years and years of fishing year round up there. Um, you know, uh, it's a different. It's just different. Like my knowledge of those northern smallmouth are, uh, it's it's nothing compared to the dudes that have 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 lived up there and fished that forever for sure. Yeah, but I think it goes to like the lakes you fish at home. Although the fish, the species are different and they act, but like you're you're very comfortable fishing deep clear water from where you totally. come from. That's a big yeah, and, and rock. Like like the rock yeah. is another really similar thing. Is like I just grew up fishing deep clear lakes that are rock dominated. So a lot of the smallmouth deals were the same. And you just see a lot of Western fishermen just instantly in a comfort zone in that scenario. Not that you're going to do right. good every time, but you're at least comfortable. Whereas, dude, Lake Toho, I get anxiety just thinking about the lake. You know, it's so different yeah. here and uh, it's right. not like me. So. You picking apart subtle rock transitions and things like that is something you're comfortable with where somebody like myself is much more comfortable deciphering what what is good milfoil versus not good milfoil absolutely bro yes 100% um so, yeah. favorite growing up uh that's a good one you know van dam obviously was the guy that i always uh emulated you know wanted to i watched every single video that he ever you know was a part of and i always wanted to fish like him um and then the western guys like aaron martin strawn murray skeet reese clifford perch um the guys that had kind of blazed that trail from fishing out west to, to um, having success back east were big inspirations to me also, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, I doubt that you think LiveScope is ruining the sport. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, all technology and fishing, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting debate. Um, I love it. I have – it's it's helped me catch more fish and um, – I obviously love using it. Um, I like having success when I'm on the water catching more fish, and that's helped me catch more fish. Is is it ruining the sport yet? 
no, dude, I don't think it is. Um, there's still for every, there's always going to be fish on the bank and there's always going to be fish offshore. And right now I know it seems tough if you're a dude that doesn't have live scope and you go to certain tournaments and they're dominated by guys using live scope. But for every one of those tournaments, there's going to be another tournament. Just like last Optifo wasn't live scope when I met Sam. (laughs) Dude, you're going to have 80% of the dudes live scoping in open water and a guy's going to run down the bank with a spinnerbait and knock their lights out because everyone's out off the bank. So it's, we're, we're in a, where it's live scopes here to stay and it's going to, it's changed fishing in a lot of aspects, but everything levels out at some point. And uh, eventually, you know, people are going to have to start going to the bank again to, to, to catch fish because those offshore fish are going to be so hammered and the electronics are going to be another tool that are going to be kind of maybe necessary, but uh, just another tool, just like the Alabama rig, just like the Senko, you know, when it came out, it uh, things level out. I'm sure. Yeah. I got to like when I went out on Smith Mountain Lake for a day back in March, that was my first day, like really getting to fish with somebody that had a, a live scope that was like dialed in and knew how to use it. And that was a pretty eye opening experience to catch some fish on the scope. So amazing. I, I love it. It's fun to me. We all, we have a joke on our podcast. We joke about uh, like uh, getting too into live scope. You're going to end up like a, uh, like a teenager that's obsessed with video games, you know, and you're just going to, completely ignore everything else that's going on around you, you know, and uh, it's going to, it's going to take you over, but uh, no, I think it's going to, it's going to level out at some point. Um, But next question, how does Josh attack deep rock piles for smallies, football jig, drop shot, neg, crank in Huddleston, all the above, maybe except the Huddleston. I don't do a lot of Huddlestons on, on smallmouth, but um, a drop shot's my favorite. It's just so good. It just, getting bit and catching fish and it's so precise like you can you can put that drop shot in front of a fish and and fish it efficiently slow like you can fish fast while fishing slow if that makes sense um put it in front of a fish reel it in and and cast it and put it in front of another fish reel it in and cast it put in front of another fish Whereas even like the football jig, a lot of times it's a cast and you slowly drag it back, slowly drag it back, slowly drag it back. If I can catch them on a drop shot, that's what I'm using because it's quicker and more efficient and it just gets big. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely the golden age of electronics right now for sure. And I, I don't know how much I'm sure it's going to get better. It's hard to believe it's going to get, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's going to, it's going to be a plateau, right? Like it's, there's going to be, and I don't know how far in the future, but it's definitely going to plateau a little bit, I think, to some degree. It'll um, be interesting. Yeah. What, uh, what's your Josh, I guess, since you spoke about, we didn't really, I mean, obviously you're known for drop shots. So maybe touch on that. Like what is yeah. your go-to drop? So I like, I, I have a couple for smallmouth. The smallmouth, when I'm fishing up north, uh, they're, they're a little bit bigger on average. You're in big water. I actually use just a straight up seven foot medium action Abu Garcia premier rod. Nothing fancy. Seven foot medium, pretty much an all around action. Um, it's got enough backbone to handle those fish close to the boat um, and drive a fish, a hook home. If you're fishing in big waves and, and you're out of position when a fish bites um, with like, I'll use a 30 size Abu Garcia Revo spinning reel, eight pound Berkeley X5 uh, fluorocarbon and six or eight pound test trialing fluorocarbon leader. 
when I'm largemouth fishing or maybe spotted bass fishing, fishing in uh, deeper water for fish that are, I don't want to say smarter, but maybe harder to catch than a, than a Great Lakes four pound smallmouth. You know, something that you really have to use a lot of finesse for. I like a 610 medium light Abu Garcia Premier rod. Um, same rod, same reel and line, but that lighter action rod is a hair more sensitive and you can mm-hmm. using a lighter weight as well. Like a lot of times you're using like a three sixteenths ounce weight and that clear water in the Southwest or even other, like, you know, parts of the other parts of the country, whereas up North, a lot of times you're using a three ace or even a half ounce weight in those big waves. So you need that heavier rod. Yeah. Cool. Awesome stuff. I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, we, we're a little over two hours. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. Oh, we dude, could easily probably hang out and talk for two more hours. But I think since you're home for this week to visit with your family, we should probably end this at some point. Yeah, dude, uh, I could go all night, bro. But um, yeah. yeah, my wife yeah. might come out here and hit me in the head with the baseball bat. If yeah, you exactly. It's the same. I need to like let the dogs out and do all those kind of things. So I think this is a good cutting off point. We covered a ton of ground. I think we'll do it again sometime. Anytime. And I'd love yeah. to have you on ours, dude. Absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. Um, make sure you guys check out Angler's Happy Hour podcast. You can search that up. Josh has got some good stuff on Instagram and his Facebook page. He, he does a pretty good job doing updates, so check that out. Um, if you were just getting here late, we covered a ton of stuff. There's a lot of juicy nuggets dropped. You can catch the replay on YouTube facebook wherever you watch this you can listen to the podcast just search hella bass um there's links down in the description to omnia fishing below to berkeley's page we talked a lot about a different berkeley stuff they have most of it so if you want to save 15 percent, you can see my code scrolling down there on the bottom uh and uh, anything you want to add josh no dude I, I i'm super impressed with your show and uh yeah man thanks for having me on and uh yeah i want to hear just you know, some of your, some of your stories about fishing this Northern Lake. So I look forward to uh, chatting with you again, dude, but thanks for having me on. And also just thanks to everyone that wrote a question in. I think it's really cool, dude. I've done a lot of these live shows and I've never had this type of interaction from listeners. Uh, So you got an awesome fan base, dude. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So uh, good luck at heavy hitters. I think most everybody's pulling for you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Get the season back on track, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, man. Uh, Appreciate it big time. I guess, as always, guys, uh, here to help you guys catch more bass and suck less. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hella Bass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hella Bass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>